Yes, hello, I am James Rowlands, and as always, I'm joined by... Pam White. And today it's a dubbing art 258. But before we start anything, let's do the alternate intro, and there's a calm surrender to the rush of day, when the heat of a rolling wave can be turned away. An enchanted moment, and it sees me through. It's enough for this restless warrior just to be with you. And Dan, can you feel the love tonight? It's where we are. It's enough for this wild old wanderer that we got this far. And can you feel the love tonight? Tonight? <laughs> How it's laid to rest. It's enough to make kings and vagabonds believe the very best. I think I nailed my bit. I think you did as well, getting tears. With a tear in my eye. <laughs> and now the intro. On today's show, we catch up with Raw, SmackDown, AEW and NXT since our live weekend. Plus, we have Starcade 1999. Alright, so let's get started. We move on to Raw. Well, here are six things we learned from the Raw the night after Survivor Series. And number one, Seth Rollins is both the bad guy and the WWE Universe deserves and needs right now. At last, for what feels like months and months now, the WWE Universe has become increasingly irate with Seth Rollins. The fans' love for the self-proclaimed locker room leader has dwindled from its high point after he defeated Brock Lesnar to next to nothing by Survivor Series. Perceived as an arrogant so-and-so is only in for it. Uh, perceived as an arrogant so-and-so, only in for it for himself. His defeat to the fiend Bray Wyatt stripped him of his title and the Survivor Series battering Raw took from SmackDown and NXT took away what... Well, so Rollins had to step up and lead the locker room, but rather than rally the troops, he offered to give an insulting rah-rah speech in public at the top of the show. He insulted Charlotte Flair, he insulted Rey Mysterio and his son. He insulted Randy Orton, he bemoaned the absence of AOP. He probably would have insulted Becky Lynch if she wasn't taking a night off to recover. In the end, they all left him there alone in the ring... Except for Kevin Owens. It seemed that Seth had an ally, but then one insult too many left the former Artek eating a stunner for his troubles. Well, Seth Rollins has always excelled as a man we love to hate, and having him annoying us for the next few months and maybe setting up that dream match with CM Punk come Mania seems more alluring than ever. Number two. Well, before we move on, <laughs> sorry, um, I'd like to point out that it's The Fiend has done this. And let me let me just give you... it beat Finn, The Fiend beat Finn Balor... Beat him so bad, he had to go back to his NXT days. The Fiend beat Seth Rollins so bad, it's put him to the kind of persona he was before he's this Seth Rollins, which is the bad boy Seth Rollins. And he beat Daniel Bryan so badly, he invoked the Yes movement. Ah. So think about it. The next person The Fiend takes on and inevitably beats is going to go back to a persona. So he's going to beat John Cena. John Cena's going to go back to his Thugonomics gimmick, guaranteed. <laughs> well, up next, Rey Mysterio is the new States champion. Well, despite the help of some weapons and his son, Rey Mysterio didn't beat Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series, and the Beast is still the absent WWE champion. But he outlasted a hell of a lot longer than in the fight against, than Kofi Kingston did, and Rey brushed off last night's defeat to pull off an amazing heist on the WWE United States champion. After something between a scuffle and disagreement, Ray, Randy Orton, Ricochet and Drew McIntyre agreed to go at it in a fatal four-way for the right to face AJ Styles and challenge for his US title. With all those parallel match-up happenings, it really could have gone to anyone, but Ray took advantage of the stipulation, stipulation. to sneak a win that just about deserved. Well, having just survived that match and on the back of Sunday's brutal encounter, few would have given Ray much of a chance against Styles right after. But with an RKO as a leveller against a particularly interfering OC, Ray somehow managed to frog splash his way to victory and his second WWE United States Championship. Now, Orton helping him out. Why was Orton helping Mysterio out for? 
Randy Orton wasn't helping Mysterio out. Randy Orton just saw a target. He wanted to RKO and done it. That was it. Fair enough. Well, number three, and Matt Hardy is back, 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 and dressed in black, black, black. Well, Matt Hardy has been on the shelf for what seems like forever, but he made a shock return to face my man, Buddy Murphy. Well, dressed in black, he seemed to have left it, left all woken elements aside for his return. What's more, while most returning stars, especially those as big league as Matt Hardy, usually return with a bang and a win. Matt had a less auspicious comeback. Well, he looked solid enough in his return. Not only did Buddy Murphy put him down with a trio knees to the face, the match itself was only a tease for a confrontation that had nothing to do with the Hardy Boys. Well, Murphy tapped his mic post-victory to invite Alistair Black to the ring. And Alistair was more than happy to storm in and knock Buddy Murphy <laughs> right out. So, Alistair Black versus Buddy Murphy is hotting up and we're curious as to what Matt Hardy's mind once he's shaking off the dreaded ring. Well, did you, I, I don't know if you saw, but he uh, he actually put a poll up on Twitter as if to say, which Matt Hardy do you want me to return? The f- Matt Hardy from the Hardy Boys days or the Woken Matt Hardy? Do you know, I say, I wouldn't mind seeing the version one Matt Hardy as well. Maybe him doing a couple of things... Like that, you know, as a kind of... He's had so many different kind of character traits. Come out as It comes out with version one, then I'm going to pop for that. So, I mean, it'd be safe to do But I mean, Alistair Black and Buddy Murphy, two of the big talents. I can't believe what's happened to Alistair Black since coming up from NXT. He was kind of the man, wasn't he? And then kind of went away from nothing. Murphy's a guy who's been known as the biggest kept secret on 205 Live. And he's he's been a secret that no one's heard. Yeah, exactly. And now these two men, finally. And the match, given time, should be quality. Well, Rusev versus Bobby Lashley is finally coming to a head. Thank fuck for that. Yeah. yeah, it's still going. Yeah, there are cops getting involved, but at least they're getting properly physical between Rusev and Bobby Lashley. Well, Bobby Lashley was all set up for his match with Titus O'Neil, but it barely begun when Rusev violated his restraining order to bundle in and take out Lashley. Well, sure, the technicality gave Bobby the win, but Rusev wouldn't have minded that he'd beat the hell out of Lashley to gain a measure of revenge for all the teasing, taunting and bullying he's received over the last few weeks and months. What's next? Well, surely... Don't call me Shirley. This is going to lead to a weapons field blow-off at TLC. Like, what that only means for the future of Lana and Rusev, we can only guess. But I was watching the fight, and Rusev just he didn't seem to have an intensity about him. And I know maybe that's kind of how he's trying to play it off, but it just seems so slow. And it wasn't like kind of a methodic beat, and it was just Rusev just taking his time. It didn't look like he was kind of happy with the storyline. Um, well, he's not the only one. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone is actually happy with that storyline. It's almost as bad as the uh, big dog and the fucking bloke dressing up as a yes. dog. Well, anyway, up next, Oscar must have eyes on Becky Lynch's W Raw's championship. But what will Kari Sane think? Well, first off, a moan. Despite a strong Monday Night Raw, we're a bit miffed, and not for the first time, about the lack of women on the show. Yeah, beyond Lance's supporting role for Bobby Lashley, we've pretty much just had this. Oscar versus Charlotte, with a former winning via lashings and lashings of green mist. Put simply, it's not enough. Now, regardless of what dinosaurs from a bygone era think, women's wrestling is every bit equal to men's, and the only 50-50 split or something approaching it is the men behind the scenes. Well, with that out of our systems, we're intrigued as to where Oscar goes from here. Yeah, Sheen Carr is saying look pretty solid as Raw at uh, WWE Women's Tag Team Champions despite the challenge from established duos and impromptu teams like Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. And Oscar going one-on-one with Charlotte Flair and beating her, yes, with a little help, suggests that she's far from done with singles action for now. Well, in short, Becky Lynch had better watch out, but maybe Kari Sane will be worried too. While it's far from a wrestler to seek singles gold while still being in a successful tag team, 
Many more have used their partners as a stepping stone to solo success. And it's been talked about as well. Like Kylie Sane is thinking about her options in WWE as well. She's not that happy. Kylie Sane's fantastic talent, but Oscar. She is showing kind of Saint different sides to her now as kind of being like a company woman, you know, like she is a star in her own right and could be one of these that moans and bitches about kind of the way she's been used these past couple of years. Please use Oscar properly, give her a chance. It would be a shame to lose someone like Sane, but I think that's money, Oscar versus Lynch, you know. Absolutely, yeah, and um, you know, it's something that could actually rightfully headline a WrestleMania and not kind of be as disastrous as the last women's match that headlined WrestleMania. Without a doubt, you know. Uh, up next, our authors of pain are back and the Royal Tag Team Division and the rest of the locker room are on notice. After putting away Hawkins and Ryder backstage last week, Authors of Pain finally returned to the ring to do the same last night. It was a victory letter pummeling with a calm and Razor dishing out to continue stream of double team manoeuvres. And the duo made a bigger statement at the end of the night, interrupting the main event between Rollins and Owens. Well, you may expect them to lay out Rollins after his barb at the top of the show. They went after Owens before slinking out the ring and letting Seth Curb stomp the pieces. Well, nothing's official, but it looks like Authors of Pain have enlisted themselves as Seth Rollins' muscle as he tries to rah-rah ride over the rest of the Raw locker room. So, no, you should most definitely on notice the whole damn brand had better watch out. Rollins with the Authors of Pain wearing the black suits makes sense doesn't it at this moment in time absolutely yeah and it's uh it's something good for authors of pain because it gives them a bit of exposure and you know it it keeps them out of the tag team picture but it keeps them busy yeah yeah i could be good and i think it's a, it's a good thing raw was was quite good a night after survive series uh like i said the survive series there was the main event wasn't happy about about the triple threat match, but at that point it was a dead rubber anyway. So NXT had already won, so it didn't really make sense for it, the match to to happen there. Uh, but apart from that, Raw was quite good. But AEW now we move on to that, and it was November twenty seventh edition. Yes, JR welcomes us to Dynamite in Chicago, and there is a marching band performing on the entrance ramp. The ring is set up for a big thank you celebration, and South Train Jones has the mic. He introduces the greatest of all time. Chris Jericho. Now, no one knows who Soul, Soul Train Jones is. It's Virgil. Or Vincent. Or Vincent. Which, which way your allegiance exactly. is lying. But you weren't happy about him as a, as a legend, so to speak. <laughs> of all the former legends that WWE have kind of scraped out, I mean, who worse than Virgil? I mean, they could have got literally any other person who had been in WWE, up to and including Coco Beware. And the Repo Man yeah. actually scraped the bottom of the barrel. I mean, the last time I saw time I saw Soul Train Jones or Virgil was I think he was at a kind of a WWE Comic Con style thing, and he was selling autographs for five dollars, and his stall was empty. Yeah. But do you think that's what they're doing? They're kind of mocking the the legends in WWE when they do that for having him here, or do you think it's literally just a case of who's well, available? They he should is? call him Paul, really, shouldn't they? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because he was called Virgil. And he's shamed a little bit in WSW as well. So, I mean, there, there is a chance there for it happening. Soul Train Shane. Yeah. <laughs> well, out comes the champion with a little bit of bubbly to a Rorsch's ovation. The audience chants, thank you, Jericho. The champ tells him, sit down and shut up. The cheers quickly turn to booze. Tonight, he will get his well-deserved thank you from the AEW brass. He offers some 50-cent coupons for his merch before moving on to the reveal of... <coughs> He offers some 50 cent off coupons for his merch before moving to the reveal of the official A Little Bit of the Bubbly, which you can now order. Jericho and Jones share a toast. Well, here comes Sammy Guevara, Santana and Ortiz down to the ring. 
Well, Guevara offers Jericho a gift, a cardboard cutout, a depiction of Jericho and Guevara hugging. Santana and Ortiz offer him some flu remedies, among other items from their neighbourhood, and they give him a little bit of the 40, and Jericho is loving every bit of it. Now, Jake Hager is out with a real-life Jerry goat, though there may be some confusion whether it's male or female goat, a little bit of tropical humour, perhaps. Well, Santana and Ortiz now open a giant box to reveal Chris Jericho's dad sitting inside wearing a New York Rangers jersey. His dad said it's great to be here in New York City and the Chicago crowd boos while chanting for the Blackhawks. Jericho father, Jericho's father gloats at how often he and the Rangers beat up the terrible Blackhawks. You will always be wimps. Personalised New York Rangers out to each member of the inner circle. Well, the champion now brings in Justin Roberts to read the official thank you note that was written to him by E.W. Brass. Jericho doesn't know Roberts' name and Roberts says he's from the Chicago area. Well, the note talks about Jericho's exemplary service to AEW and thanks him for being Le Champion. Jericho didn't appreciate Robert's tone in reading the note, and now the entire inner circle goes after the announcer and knocks him to the mat, stripping his suit jacket. Well, the marching band storms the ring and chases off the hill. Soul Train Jones left in there to take a beating for the marching band, which happens to be members of the SCU. So what do you think of the opening segment then? You hated it, didn't you? I thought it was absolutely fucking awful. I mean, from Soul Train Jones to everything, you know, his dad being absolutely terrible on the mic and that whole, his father, yeah, I know it was like the New York side of things. It was absolutely fucking awful. Sammy Guevara is absolutely the fucking worst on the mic. Yes, I know he's kind of young and this, that and the other, but if he's crap on the mic, don't give him a fucking mic. Yeah. Um, I, 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 like sa- the, I like the Jerry Goat. I thought that was funny. The Jerry Goat was funny, but you could (laughs) see Jake Hager had no control over the fucking animal whatsoever. A bit like his MMA career. Absolutely, (laughs) yeah. But uh, what what we said, we were talking about this earlier as well. The fact is, if AEW want to be different, want to be competition for WWE, don't do what WWE does and that start off with a 20-minute fucking No, it was a this-is-your-life segment that just fucking fell flat on its ass. Uh, Santana and Ortiz offering flu remedies. Why? (laughs) Why the fuck? Yes, the little bit of 40 because, you know, they're Latina and it's a little bit of the bubbly. Yeah, that was good. Some signed picture of a bloke I'd never even fucking heard of. A fucking bandana because he's now a member of some fucking whatever. Yeah, and and beating down Justin Roberts as well is not really... Beating down Justin Roberts is absolutely fucking pathetic and it was all just absolutely... Awful. Yeah. Well, let's hope they can improve. Tony Schiavone's out on assignment this week, replaced by commentary by Marco Martinez. Well, I'll, I'll tell you about him uh, after a little while, but the best friends with Orange Cassidy make their way to the ring. They are attacked from behind by the Lucha Bros. The best friends quickly regroup, and then Orange Cassidy, dressed as a turkey, flies off the top turnbuckle to wipe out the Lucha Bros. The commentators make a joke about flying turkeys and appealing to the over-50 demographic. Look, I love Orange Cassidy, but I don't think you should be dressing up as a a turkey because that kind of takes away from it. Absolutely, yes. And, you know, the way he jumped off, he didn't even have his hands in his pockets. Obviously, he's in a turkey outfit, but he didn't have pockets. But it's like, yeah, you know, you're kind of stopping Orange Cassidy doing what Orange Cassidy could do, yeah? You know, I'm annoyed by him, but if you've got something that works and he's absolutely fucking over, don't dress him up as a fucking turkey. And this is the problem, you know. But anyway, we get Best Friends versus Lucha Bros, and the match officially begins, and we get the hug spot from the Best Friends. It doesn't take long for the Lucha Bros to distract the ref and gain the upper hand, and we go to a break. We're back from break. Orange Cassidy distracts Pentagon, but only leads to a two count. Two. Fen- 
Phoenix and Trent are inside the ring. Phoenix goes for a rolling cutter into a Canadian destroyer, but Trent counters it into a sudden pin. So the best friends defeat the Lucha Bros. I mean, this is a big surprise as well, because Lucha Bros are a very successful tag team, and all of a sudden the, uh, the best friends gets the victory. Absolutely, yes. The only thing with that match, it was, you know, innovative the way that the Lucha Bros was distracting the ref. I thought that was quite good. Marco Martinez. <laughs> and the amount of times he's from their friends at Farm Fresh Fruit or whatever the fuck it is, they, they said that about 15 times throughout, throughout the match. Every time they threw it over to Marco Martinez. <laughs> so it's actually point. And, you know, it's like either turn his fucking mic up or move it closer to his face. Yeah, well, we get a quick look at some of the official AEW rankings and now it's time for some tag team action in the women's division. Yes, JR inappropriately uses the term Oriental while Emi Sakura makes her entrance, but then immediately corrects himself. So we get B Priestley and Emil Sakura versus Chris Statlander and Hikuri Shida. Well, Shovar and hits Chris with a twisting face breaker, Emi with a diving crossbody, and then Priestley stomps Statlander from the top rope. Sakura misses a moonsault, sits up to recover, but is nailed from behind with a running kick from Shida. Statlander tries to put Sakura away with a scissors kick, but Shakura manages to kick out oh. uh, of the pin at the last second. And now a Mishinoku driver on Sakura, but B breaks up the pin attempt. Well, the ref doesn't see a cheap shot with a mic stand, and Sakura takes advantage to roll up Statlander for win. And B Priestley and Emi Sakura defeat Chris Statlander and Hiroku, Hiroku Shida. Yeah, you weren't a fan of the uh, women's tag team match either, were you? <laughs> I, I didn't, you know, from the moment she come out dressed as fucking Freddie Mercury... I liked that, though. I mean, that is absolutely fucking god-awful. I like that. Even though the action wasn't great, I, I still like the character. But now we have a John Moxley pre-tape promo. He refers to himself as Napalm Death will eventually come get you. Moxley's calling out anybody who has a death wish or wants to be a hero to step up and try their luck. And then we go to break. Back from commercial, Cody Rose makes his entrance. The crowd erupts for this man. He has a giant scar over his right eye and his ribs are taped up. Yes, it is Cody Rhodes versus Matt Nix. Cody takes control of a headlock, but Nix damages him with a kick to the ribs. Cody fires up, lands a cutter. Cody tosses his belt to the audience and then applies a figure four leg lock. Nix. And the crowd chant for Cody. He grabs the mic and calls out MJF. A masked wrestler rises up from a hole in the ring mat. He takes out Cody and removes the mask. The commentators call him the blade and then the butcher also emerges from the hole in the ring mat. Ali also comes up from the hole and is referred to as the bunny by commentary. The Blade, Butcher and Bunny stand tall over the rooted Cody as we go to a break. Well, now these, you know, I know who Ali is. I've never heard of the Butcher and the Blade, the candlestick maker or the baker. But if you're going to... The crowd didn't know what to do with this. They were like, who? I mean, if you'd have given them the um, Dark Order segments and gave them a couple of little promos on the screens and what have you, you know, so people was familiar with them, then, yeah, you know, maybe it could have been something different, but the fans were just like, who, what? This is AEW's trouble of not telling the story as it was, and this dates back Brandy Rhodes and Awesome Kong attacking Ali, and obviously Ali's gone to get help and now taken out Cody Rhodes, but because they've not filled in, like you said, either the crowd or the people at home, you having to piece it together. People that have watched the programme might think, oh, that's happened. But because, like with WWE, they're always telling you what's going on, aren't they? They're like, it's like yeah. Because they're not, then the crowd are just like, what? And that's what her, especially with someone so over as Cody. Absolutely, know? yeah. And that's the thing I don't get, you know, the the Blade, the Butcher and the Bunny. I know Ali got done wrong, I've seen that. But um, 
in this kind of thing, it's Awesome Kong and Brandy are heels. Yep. Cody is very visibly mm-hmm. the face of faces. The bunny is now, I'll, I'll presume she's a heel with the butcher and the blade. So are we going to see Brandy and Awesome Kong going face now? I don't think we will. So, so. yeah, it's, it's like, really? You know, it doesn't quite make sense as to how the pieces are meant to be figuring out. If she was, you know, if she was put out by Awesome Kong, wouldn't she go after her? And I don't think the blade and the butcher are two people to go after her with. It's, you know, it's another female or... Well, the problem was it wasn't even a well-known person. So no. it's, it's all well, like I said, introducing someone into that, but to not have any kind of vignettes beforehand, or if it, even if it is someone that is probably not, then at least a bit of a surprise. You know, even if it was, not say Ty Dillinger or something like that, but you know what I mean. Anyway, it's time for Pac versus Omega, while we're reminded of Pac's win over Omega from all out inside the building. Well, the two men exchange an assortment of kicks before Pac finally takes Kenny out of a lariat that took him off his own feet. Pac sits Omega on a top buckle and climbs up after him. Pack hits a full canaro off the top rope. Amiga kicks out at uh, two. Ah, uh, two. Pack is up on top and misses a black arrow. Amiga runs across the ring and strikes with a V trigger. Pack avoids the one winged angel. Amiga now with a crucifix ping. Pang. Pack kicks uh. and then into his own pin attempt. But Amiga readjusts his weight and this time secures the free count. Now, this was a little bit disappointing because. I didn't think Pac needed to lose again so soon, you know. And and also with Omega, did he really need this victory? Maybe you could have, you know, said he, he did. I didn't think the match was as good as their, their previous encounters. I don't mind the kind of pin attempts that they did, the adjustments. But it just didn't really strike out to me as a kind of, uh, uh, like a, a great, you know what I mean? And it's a shame with these two talents. Well, I've heard Dave Meltzer gave it a 17 stars <laughs> out of five. Yeah, so, that doesn't surprise you me. Know, yeah. People beg to differ, but again, <laughs> what is Kenny Omega's his goal? Yep, yeah, he's been defeated Pack. What now? Does he go after the heavyweight championship? But he can't because it's a ranking board thing now. So you know he can't be number one contender. Um, you know where where how does it work out now? You know because people's only goals in AEW can only be to win matches. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know you can't be like right. Well, I I'm gonna do whatever it takes to go after Chris Jericho and the world title. So, you know, normally you'd have a match against um, Sammy Guevara or you'd have a match against one of Proud and Powerful or Jake Hager mm. and then leading up to an eventual match with Jericho. But instead you've got to kind of win and win and win and win and win and then kind of get yourself into a feud with Chris Jericho because you're now the number one contender. So it kind of seems like it's going to be a bit forced as opposed to being something a bit more natural that we used to. Yeah, uh, and it makes more sense if you've got the rankings to have a contender uh, every month or something like that. It would make more sense in WWE at this time. Well, we now get a recap of last week's Battle Royal, setting up the next match for the MJF and Hangman Page for the Dynamite Diamond Ring. Don't even get me started on this fucking ring. But MJF makes his entrance with Wardlow in set promo explaining why he's better than you and deserves the Diamond Ring. Hangman Page gets an inset promo as well during his entrance. He wants the 45 carat ring and needs a big win to hang on his hat, hang his hat on. He's not much of a ring guy, but MJF wants it so badly he'll shove it up MJF's ass when he wins. Well, that sounds like something they should have saved for AEW Dark. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So we go to a break right after the match begins with Wardlow already about to get involved by the Page from executing a buckshot lariat. Well, back from commercial, Page with a fallaway slam on MJF. He follows up with a suicide dive on the outside driving MJF into Barricade. Hangman is on fire, 
now landing a beautiful moonsault. He tries for the buckshot lariat, but MJF grabs hold of the ref to block Paige's path. Both men exchange their moves until Paige finally hits the buckshot lariat. Wardlow puts MJF's foot on the rope to break the pin. Paige eats a right hand from Wardlow when the ref's back is turned. And MJF hits Paige with a Cody's finisher and gets the free count. Wasn't it? Uh, this match just didn't didn't do anything for no, me. It absolutely really no heat, no start. I mean, MJF fucked Cody over. So now he wants a feud with him. Yeah. Is he kind of calling out Cody using his finisher coming out to his theme music the other week? If Cody's nothing to him, then why is he still doing this? You know, it yes. doesn't make sense. Uh, but DDP comes out to present the dynamite diamond ring to MJF. DDP is a friend. So I'm sure this will... Well, the crowd chants arsehole at MJF as he takes the ring from the box. DDP begins to lecture MJF about how disappointed he is by his actions. Yet he still offers him a handshake. MJF disrespects DDP, which brings in Wardlow to get in DDP's face. DDP says Wardlow better watch out because he'd look real stupid getting his ass kicked by a 63-year-old man in Chicago. Trainers, EMTs, officials get in the ring to break up the escalating situation. Situation. While the crowd chants, let them go. This didn't make any sense in the end. The, the whole last bit went on for too long. Now, in my head, this was pretty simple. You'd have your, your 10-minute match between MJF and, and um, Paige. You'd have Wardlow costing Paige the match, so these two can have a match down the line. And then during the presentation, you have MJF beating the shit out of DDP. You put him down, and then again you say, oh, you know, I'm going after Cody, I'm going to put down the guy, let mentor the most, rather than saving Paige and making MJF and Wardlow look, look weak by saying DDP, well, I could stand toe-to-toe with you. You're 63. You shouldn't be going with a guy who should be in his prime in this company. It's again, it's another um, misuse of a legend in that way. Absolutely. Well, which legend got misused the most? DDP or Virgil? I think DDP was misused the most in this one. Well, talking of old guys, Dustin Rhodes is in the ring for an interview with Jen Decker. He talks trash towards Jake Hager and says he's out for blood. Santana, Ortiz and Guevara quickly hit the ring and beat Dustin down to the mat like a pack of jackals. The Young Bucks join in the fray and all three faces join in on a superkick party. The Inner Circle are set up for three separate shattered dreams in the corners. All sets of testicles are kicked in with authority. Well, we cut to another dark order recruitment video, this time a little bit creepier than the one from last week. This one shows that order and all the potential pledges. And this is what they should have done with the dark order to start with and introduce them after. Yes, well, we come back from another commercial break and Scorpio Sky makes his entrance and commentary reminds us that nobody from SCU or Inner Circle is allowed for this AEW Championship match. There is a 60-minute time limit with about 15 minutes left of television time as the bell rings. So it's Chris Jericho, the champion, obviously the champion, versus Scorpio Sky for the AEW Championship. Well, I believe there's a stupid idiot chant at the outset. Jericho takes Sky down with a shoulder block. Sky bounces back with a drop kick, clotheslines Jericho over the top rope and hits him with a boot to the face on the outside. He rolls Jericho back in the ring. Sunset flip on Jericho gets a two. Two. Jericho takes Scorpio down with a springboard dropkick and we go to a break. Well, there are about 10 minutes of TV time left as we return from break and about 60 minutes, 50 minutes of the match left. <coughs> Jericho's in control with some chops, but Sky counters with a hanging neck breaker. Sky hits an explosive dropkick. Jericho runs into a back elbow. And then Sky nails in with an ace crusher. We get another close two. Two. Before Sky's caught in mid-air code breaker, he still managed to kick out. Uh. The crowd thinks it's time to say this is awesome. 
Okay, well, Sky almost wins the championship on a backslide. The challenger avoids the Judas effect, but Jericho boots and put him back in the lie tamer. Sky has no choice but to tap out. Yeah, and Jericho isn't done yet. He goes back inside the ring and puts Sky back in the lion tamer. Well, wait a minute. That music. It's John Moxley. Well, Moxley menacingly glares at Jericho from his perch high up in the audience. Jericho shows off his old man armpit to celebrate his championship win, while Moxley now heads down towards the ring. Oh, never mind. Moxley only takes a few steps, then halts, continuing to stare a hole in the champ. And that is the end of the show. And I think we admit that that was the worst episode of AEW Dynamite that we've had. Ever. Ever. I think since it started, that yeah, is the worst that one. That was absolutely fucking awful. None of the matches seemed like it gelled. As soon as the match starts to get going, it goes to commercial break. Um, the women's match, it it just didn't gel. It Nothing really seemed... I don't know, it was... It just didn't, you know, it just needs to respond well. After NXT had such a strong week last week, had such a great weekend at Survivor Series as well, this was AEW's chance to put on a show and say, wait a minute, no, we are the kind of competition here. And they, they just didn't do that, did they? And it looked, again, weak compared to what was on the other side. And something that doesn't match up to me is that Cody is seemingly done with the inner circle, like his feud is, but the other members of the elite in, um, you know, Santana and Ortiz are obviously still got something on with Matt and Nick Jackson. Uh, Dustin, even though he's like 85, he still wants to fight the likes of Sammy Guevara and uh, the other members of the inner circle, which is why, what are you going to achieve out of that? Mm. Um it's how is Moxley? Is he the number one power rank now, Moxley? Well, no, I, I don't. I think he's number. I think he's even one or two on the list. Cody's still up there as well. So, but Moxley's only had like two or three matches. So he has. Yes. You know, it, it's, it's difficult to kind of pertain to that. When there's pay per weight, they're teasing us with Moxley and Jericho. Is that what we want right now in AEW? Or do we want something different? I think we need something different. It it needs. You know, if if it's going this stale after only eight, nine weeks of uh, being out there, it needs a shake-up and it needs to not fall into WWE routines. Yeah. Because, it's you know, it's only going to be a matter of time before it just declines, declines. And, de- and there lies the problems. We don't know the ratings yet because of Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll get them next week. Uh, but we'll see what happens when it comes to AEW. Let's hope they can respond. Realise they didn't put on a great show and then come back with all, you know, guns are blazing. We'll move on to NXT now, and it's November 27th. Well, Josiah Williams of Wrestle and Adam Cole to the ring fame welcomes us to full sail after a highlight placage from TakeOver. He's splitting for the brand as the entire roster comes down the ramp wearing shirts celebrating the Survivor Series win. But the Undisputed Era cuts off the party. Adam Cole wants to know what they're celebrating because they're the ones who make NXT great. Their prophecy is just getting started as Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish will successfully defend the tag titles tonight. Well, Tommaso Ciampa, who's in the ring with his War Games team, mine and Matt Riddle, cuts him off. He says everyone here sees what's going on but the Era. Their prophecy is ending and the end started at TakeOver when his team won. Now, Dijakovic and Keith Lee will win the tag belts tonight. Roderick Strong's time is coming. And Goldie. Well, Daddy said he'll go to war first, but Daddy won the war, so now Cole is coming to her. Finn Balor is out. He steps in front of the entropies in the way. The Blackheart challenged him, saying, Prince, you just met your king while the crowd chants for that match. 
Lee grabs the mic and says he's looking forward to that match, but now he doesn't want to wait. He invites Kylie and Bobby to the ring as it's basking season. Well, James, are you going to bask in his glory? Well, I've been really impressed with Keith Lee recently. He's a guy who had a great Survivor Series weekend. Well, I'm going to put this to you now in front of all of our listeners. I think we should do like a man of the match. And a man, and like, you know, for pay-per-views, be it NXT, be it WWE, whatever, AEW, and whoever gets the most man of the match awards at the end of the year, not from the WWE, from the WNR, but, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, no, so, yeah, own... We didn't actually do, I actually want to say that uh, the the man of the definitely survives is Keith Lee, but even at Wargame, the performances he put in in both nights. Yeah, well, yeah. Keith Lee would have had two man yeah. of the match awards Bang, we haven't ever. done that with anybody having a kind of standout moment with them since maybe kind of Roman Reigns at a Survivor Series or something like that. You yeah. know, this guy, even though he come up short, got the respect of everybody. And like you said, Vincent Mann is a big fan and uh, we're enjoying him tonight in NXT. Well, while they head to the ring, Beth Phoenix speaks from the announcer desk where she's seated with Tom or Todd Phillips and Nigel McGuinness. She mentions Maro, wishes him well, and says she's looking forward to seeing him next week. So now we get the tag team title on the line. Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic versus Carla Riley and Bobby. Well, the era attack at the bell, but it's, but the Monstars quickly overpower the champs and dump them to the floor, and we get a PIP commercial break. O'Reilly gets worked over during that, and we come back. Roddy is wrestling in his pants. We learn that Fish was injured when he was dumped over the top rope. And we see a replay that doesn't look too bad, but he did at the floor, hip and leg first. A general manager, William Regal, decided Strong could replace him. We'll be learning Finn versus Tommaso Chumpers for tonight as Carl is working over Dijakovic when we get back. He takes a shot at Keith on the eighth, and that just pisses the big man off. Well, back in, Lee hulks up enough to get free and fall into a tag. Dijakovic comes in hot, but still selling the knee from before. He goes for the choke bomb on Kyle, on Kyle but O'Reilly reverses into a triangle. But Dijakovic managing to power Kyle Riley up, and he's got throat. <laughs> and a one-handed sit-out powerbomb and a choke slam. And this could be it. Oh No, just a two-count. Two. Oh, Kyle Riley somehow, Dijakovic, bad leg and all. Nearly had it well on these two guys. And, and we talk about Keith Lee, but Dominic Dijakovic is another guy who's kind of stood out recently as well with performances. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's... Uh... Someone's obviously said to him in the back, look, it's your time to shine. And they fucking took the ball and ran with it. Now, Djokovic looking to put O'Reilly away. Got him up in that torture rack. But Roderick Strong Strong's in. in. Yeah, he gets kicked into uh, Handsome Kyle. Well, now, Big Dom's just got both members of the Undisputed Era in the corner. A strong up on his shoulders. O'Reilly goes low, rolls him up. One, two. Ooh. Well, Djokovic managed to kick out. Uh-huh. But the Undisputed Era... I've got the advantage with this one because even though Bobby Fish is out of the match, Roderick Strong is a guy that has been tag team champions with Kyle O'Reilly, so they're both going to know how they work. But here comes Keith Lee. Well, he comes down to take a both out. O'Reilly ducks. He catches Strong. Pulls O'Reilly up for a power bomb, but Strong with a chop block goes low and takes out Lee. Oh, my God. Djakovic <laughs> just springboards off the top rope and takes both men out with a flip. Oh, XT chart, the Undisputed Era. Are in serious trouble. Strong's getting to his corner and O'Reilly's got hold of the leg. And he just whips the leg against the rope. Tags in strong. But Dijakovic has gone both round the throat. Plants him with a double choke slam. But I think the knee buckled as he landed. And here comes Adam Cole. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> there goes Adam Cole. <laughs> Keithley bounced him. 
He's sent him into the third row of the crowd. <laughs> Even Dijakovic couldn't believe it. And a holy shit, John. <laughs> and Dijakovic can't believe it. But undisputed era. High, low. Strong into the cover. One, two, three. three. Keith Lee can't get in time. And the undisputed era retain their tag team championships. And a great way to start NXT. Adam Cole is still recovering. What did you think of the match, Dan? Um, the match, you know, it was it was a good match. All four guys, again, all brilliant competitors. But the moment of the match was <laughs> just fucking Adam Cole flying. Well, Adam, can you believe a man can fly? And they're going to see a replay. First off, I mean, just the agility of these two big guys when they come up short was amazing. It looked like maybe they had the, the match one until Adam Cole came out. Keith <laughs> was was that something, is that something that was planned or well, yeah I think Adam Cole jumped but just the, the kind of ability to do that <laughs> Keith Lee sends him flying we get a oh yeah this is the angle I want to say Adam Cole into the crowd and then the other people there win but what what a great this is what you want for wrestling like have a little moment so it is something that I don't think I have ever seen in wrestling and you know it is something that I know. These moments shouldn't make the match, but they help towards it. Yeah, without a doubt. Let's just have a look at it again, just in case. <laughs> Wait. Wow. That fucking woman that looks like a goth, dark hair and really washed out complexion. If you're listening, I'm sorry, for, but you look like a ghost. Oh, my God. But her God. face and visuals. And there's a Randy Orton t-shirt in the crowd as well. Yeah, well, Adam Cole goes for a ride there. Uh, uh, just hang on a minute. Just, I just want to, just one more time. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Adam Cole, you believe a man can fly. So we move on. The announcers talk the women's war games, and we see highlights of Dakota Kai's turn. The tweets from Tegan Knox and Mia Yimashina. We learn Kai was fined for hitting Regal. Then Kathy Kelly interviews Candice LeRae, who says she's tired of hearing about Dakota. When she was in the ring on Saturday, she had to hear someone she considers a little sister screaming in pain. Tegan will get her revenge on Kai. But tonight, the Kiwi has to deal with Knox's pissed-off big sister. We see Angel Garza's win over the pre-show and the online exclusive Leo Rush attacking him afterwards. Then we see Leo and Akira Tozawa get ready for the Cruiserweight total match. And up next, we've got Shane Thorne versus Mansoor. And I mean, you know, well, I only thought Mansoor <laughs> only got run-outs at the Saudi Arabian uh, I can confirm we are not in Saudi Arabia tonight, so that's quite good. Uh, well, sadly, American get an early advantage, but when he's pushed it by trying for a suicide dive and missed, Fawn suplexed him on the floor to take charge. That gets a two. Two. But back in the ring, the Aussie isn't able to do much more, eventually run into an insecurity. The dive connects this time, and Mansell hits a neat springboard net break on his way back in for the win. Yes, um, so it seems like Mansell's quite undefeated at the moment. Yeah, so we'll see if that actually goes anywhere in NXT. Probably not. Up next, Candice LeRae versus Dakota Kai. Well, Kai is out carrying Tegan's knee brace and she has a whole new heel entrance. Candice is screaming as she approaches and gets a slap. Well, Candice up top, but Kai blocks it. Strike Candice goes for a sunset flip powerbomb, but Kai holds onto the ropes. The new heel grabs the knee brace, but Candice pulls Kai onto the top rope and then hits a powerbomb for two. Two. LeRae misses a K-Brada, but hits a double knee backbreaker for another near fall. Dakota fires back with kicks and Candice with a crucifix for a two. Two. Followed by a Hurricane Rana into the Gagano escape. K 
Kai tries to grab the ropes, but Candice rolls back into the centre of the ring. The coat to the floor. Well, Le Ray lines up a suicide dive right into Tegan's knee brace. And then Dakota Kai is disqualified for that. And Candice Ray gets the win. Yes, the assault continues after the bell as the referee gets the brace away from Dakota. So she just throws Candice into the steps a lot. Finally, Ray Ripley runs in with a chair to make the save. Kathy Kelly interviews Tommaso Ciampa. He puts over Finn's success everywhere he's been. But he says he's the man who's made NXT the A-show and Goldie the most in sports entertainment. After a break, we get the new Cameron Grimes vignette. He's out in the woods, but WWE is where he always wanted to be. He got the fastest win in NXT history, and even though he's not a baby or a bro, he's going to cave in the competition. A quick look at Ray's big weekend as you pin Charlotte Flair, Shania Baszler and Sasha Banks on consecutive nights. It doesn't get much bigger than that as a weekend, does it? Um, absolutely not, no. And, you know, again, we were saying about Keith Lee getting the man of the weekend. I think Ray Ripley had the woman of the weekend. If you had to pick between Keith Lee or Ray Ripley who had a bigger standout weekend, who would you pick? I would pick... Um, you had to choose one of them. Ray Ripley. Ray, I think Ray Ripley as well. I think just, you know, Keith Lee came up sh- uh, short, didn't he? And Ray Ripley actually came out. But up next is Leo Rush versus Akira Tazar for the NXT Cruiserweight title. Well, after an early standoff, Rush offers his hand. Tazawa shakes it, but then they both try for kicks at the same time, but block them. Things stay equal as they fight to the apron. Well, front kick from the Japanese superstar follows up with a crazy suplex off the apron to the floor that flips the champ completely around. Well, both men barely beat the 10 count, and Leo fights out of another suplex, and he knocks out Tazawa's mouth guard. He goes for the come up, but there's no one. Kira is looking for his mouth guard. Another flurry of kicks, but the come up is countered with another German. Near full, then Akira times, climbs up for the senton, but gets knees. Final hour, frog splash onto Tazawa's back, then the champ goes to the other corner and flies for another one. And that is Yes, Leo Rush defeats Akira Tazawa. Not a bad cruiserweight match, but they need to do something now. The cruiserweight division is on life support. Someone like Tazawa, I like Tazawa, but I think maybe the time is now to kind of cut your losses on a few of them as well. Uh, Kelly's with Finn, who warns Champer he's going to visit a dark place. He already took out Johnny Gagano and taught Matt Riddle a lesson tonight. It's Tommaso's turn. Yes, and after a break, we get some clips from Sunday's NXT title match and lots of social media pra- <coughs> praise, including from HBK. And Zia Lee versus Vanessa Bourne is next, and this is a follow-up from Elias, or Noomph's broken name Lee, is reckless. Well, the vision is pissed and drives Zia into the corner with kicks of her own. But then Lee sidesteps a charge and Vanessa goes shoulder first into the ring post. A big powerbomb, but then Shayna Baszler and her lackeys are here. Zia ends things quickly with a... Afterwards, Jasmine Duke and Marina Shear flank the ring and attack Lee. She fights them off and backs the champ up with a kick, but here she comes. The number games take Zia down. They dump the Chinese superstar floor and Shayna gets a mic. Keeps trying to take credit for last weekend, but it's her that should be thanking. She beat Bailey and Becky Lynch in the same match. The crowd chant for Rhea, but they don't have to wait long. The mosh pit kid slowly walks to the ring, and the horsewomen bail. Well, Ripley wants to know where they're running to. She came out because she has something she wants to tell them face to face. Basler grabs a mic and heads back to the apron. Rhea just look. look Rhea says she just wanted to say congrats. You did beat Bailey and Becky, but with face Ripley pinned her. And she'll do it again. But next time, it'll be for the NXT Women's Championship. Shayna Baszler struts up to the Aussie and says she might be the nightmare, but she's the reality. 
She's heard this all before and when the time comes, Raya will be napping, snapping or tapping just like everyone else. Well, Ripley says, why don't you bring it now? The champ bails and Raya says, when Baszler gives her a chance, she'll drop her. And I'm not a huge fan of Baszler, but she had a lot more confidence after Survivor Series. I think that might have helped her out. And Raya Ripley, you know, we saw in NXT UK so much potential there as well. I'm looking forward, I'm actually looking forward to a Ripley versus Baszler match. As long as Ripley comes out on top. As long as yeah. that happens. I don't care who wins as long as it's Rare Ripley. Yeah. Well, we see some clips from the triple threat on Saturday. A medic's working on Damian Priest saying Killian Dane cracked two of his ribs with a cannonball. And they'll face off yet again next week. And our main event is Tomasa Chumper versus Finn Balor. Well, they lock up and don't want to break in the corner. Chumper slaps Finn and then is taken down as Balor grabs a chin lock. Well, this is even, as Nigel says, Gorilla would say, pick him. Chumper is rolling and putting down his knee pad for a running knee in the corner, but runs into a sling blade. Finn throws him to the outside and drop kicks Tommaso into Barry Kay, just as he did Johnny Gagano. He tries to follow up the same way too, but Chumper fights out of the 1916 on the ramp, hitting an air raid crash of his own on the floor. Tommaso back in and Finn eventually follows up uh, on the official's nine count. Predict Chumper gets a great near fall, Balor fights back. Air raid crash off the middle rope connects, but that only gets two. Two. Chomper sets up for fairy tale ending, saying, This is for Johnny Boy. But here comes Adam Cole. And there goes Adam Cole into the fifth row this time. <laughs> well, now it looks like Tommaso Chomper is going to put Finn Balor away. And let's not forget, this is for his best friend, Johnny Gagano. If anyone can put Gagano out, it's Tommaso Chomper. He's the only one that's allowed to. But here comes Adam Cole. And there goes Adam Cole with a forearm to the shut face. Balor rolling up Chumper, but Chumper managed to kick out. Uh. And Balor's got the NXT title, going to use it as weapon. Just can't blocking it. No, Chumper tries for a roll-up, but only gets two. Two. Can't put Balor down. Now Balor, and a huge shot right on the NXT Championship. Jessica Carr allowing it. Two. Fr- no. Only a two count. Well, Balor went for the cover. Jessica now moving the NXT title out of the way. Chumper on the second row. Well, Adam Cole with a step up in Seguri. And now Balor with a 19-16. One, two, three. Wow, and Finn Balor beats Tommaso Ciampa. Look at Adam Cole, he's smirking. No, James hasn't got any squirt in his gob because he's got a smile on his face because he actually assisted. In- well, he thought Ciampa was a threat and he's let Balor put him down. And, of course, uh, we've seen recently with Cole and Balor, they've... Uh, Maybe been on friendly terms. Definitely on the same page. And it's a shame for Chumper. One, two, three. And Adam Cole, even though he's not wrestled here tonight, he's been involved. The opening match getting sent four rows and now costing Chumper in the main event. And Finn Balor's in a little bit of role since coming back to NXT. But Matt Riddle and now Tommaso Chumper, two guys big on the list. But Cole and Balor looking at each other. Former Bullet Club leaders. And now Cole... Looking to get in the ring. Well, it looks like they've got a common enemy in Tommaso Ciampa. And Cole telling him he's undisputed and Balor agreeing with it. And he's... Oh! No! <laughs> Balor hits Cole with a Pele kick. Well, Adam Cole thought Balor was on his side. The fans charted Finn. He's looking down at Adam Cole and the NXT Championship. Well, maybe Balor's got his eyes set on the gold again. Well, James, these three guys in the same ring at the same time, you can't tell me that wouldn't be a... Three of the greatest NXT champions of all time. Three of the longest reigning NXT champions of all time. And that brings another little level of excitement to it, doesn't it? It's not just kind of samey, 
Balor now showing his uh, kind of true colours. He's going to fight for himself and no one else. What Absolutely, yeah. You know, he's got no allegiances. He's teased a few things, but it's, you know, Balor does what Balor wants. Yeah, and I think that's a really good episode. Let's see what are your thoughts. I thought it was absolutely great, yeah. Um, it's it's kind of pretty much everything that's happened over the weekend as well, and it's it's started new things going off as well. So, you know, it's kind of, it's been good. You know, it's been consistent. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. But now, Dan, it's time for your... Smackdown summary. So we start off Smackdown with Roman Reigns kicking off uh, the broadcast, calling out King Corbin. Doesn't quite get him, gets Robert Roode in said. Um... They had quite a good match, you know, both men, uh, you know, they kind of meshed together really well. They're two different styles. Uh, in the end, obviously, Reigns defeated Rhodes, uh, ends up putting a broadcast announce table onto him to kind of close out the segment. Yeah, I mean, how can you be upset about the glorious one, Bobby Roode, coming out? Uh, but like I said, with Rhodes, uh, Reigns and uh, Roode, I mean, like I said, it was, it was an interesting matchup. Uh, and then it kind of broke down, didn't it, at the start? It did indeed, yeah. Um, we get a new title. I mean, Bray Wyatt's only just turned the Universal Championship from red to blue, but now he's got a face of the Fiend in uh, quite a leathery style, and he's got hurt and heel on either side, and like the, the face just kind of meshes around it. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird... So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on this, this championship belt? I mean, I suppose he's going to have it around his neck. So. I think they're customising too much. I mean, you know, with John Cena and his spin about, it was good. You know, it was something different that we hadn't seen. But now everyone's customising it. We had Noah fucking Glow one. We had Daniel Bryan with his hemp one. You know, we've we've seen too many different variations. Well, the Blue Universal Championship's just come out. So everybody's been buying that. And it's been like $350 on Euroshop or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you've got the new Fiend title belt. So you don't know when the next time you're going to see the blue one as well. So you've got the red one that you buy. You've got the new 24-7 title that you want to get. Of course, the new Intercontinental Championship, the design that's available now as well. So all this money for kind of doing that, I'm, I'm just not sure about it. But I, I suppose he needed a little bit of a change, you know. Indeed, yes. Um, but, you know, that was kind of like the main story of it. It, it fits him. You know, but it's it was. I don't, I don't know. I'm not too keen on it. It doesn't look like a title belt. It looks more like a million dollar style belt yeah, as opposed yeah, yeah. to a, a championship belt. But anyway, uh, Sheamus returned to WWE TV, and you know, I said he's been off. He's been off. He, he was due off filming commitments. Yeah, he's been off quite a while now. It's been a he while. has indeed. Yes. Um, but he he called out the whole back down Ross uh, back down SmackDown <laughs> roster. And he called him spineless and vowed to change the mood. But after that, we had Ali squaring off with former Cruiserweight champion Drew Gulak. It could have been a very good match, but it it was too quick. It was far too quick, and uh, Ali picked up the victory over Drew Gulak. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. It's kind of overshadowed, wasn't it, by the, the Sheamus return? Indeed, yes. Uh, but, you know, it's you kind of... At least he's made his intentions clear. Uh, up next, we had Sasha Banks and Bailey addressing the women's locker room. Um... They were blaming everyone but themselves. And then Lacey Evans came out and said, SmackDown needs a classy lady to be the face. Um, and then she hit Bailey with a woman's right. So uh, uh, Lacey Evans' heel turn. I mean, is that the right move? I mean, she's been kind of up the top of the card recently, isn't she? Feuding with the, uh, the hillside with Becky Lynch. And now we're going to see a face one probably going to go against Bailey. But is it a face turn? Because she's been a heel, but 
Bailey and Banks are heels, so wouldn't it be a face turn? Yeah, face turn, that's what I said, yeah. Oh, sorry, I yeah. <laughs> You should really listen to me sometimes. I, I, I never do, James, you know me right now. I never. But um, is she just basically getting built up to do that? You know, is there not anyone else that could come up to that? Play? I, I, I mean, you know, Carmella, yeah. Dana Brooke. Naomi. There's a few others. Yeah. Well, we'll leave her out for <laughs> a little while. Um, but, yeah, you know, um, and talking of returns, Mandy Ru- Mandy Rose had a match. Uh, sorry, Nikki Cross had a match with Sonya Deville. Mandy Rose was down by her sides. Uh, Nikki Cross got the victory, but brace yourself, James. Alexa fucking Bliss came back to save her former tag team partner. So Alexa Bliss, and I can see the smile on your face with Bliss return. Is this the right move to continue the tag team with her and Nikki Cross? Absolutely, yeah. You know, um, it's kind of it's help. It helps Nikki Cross out a lot, and it doesn't do Bliss any harm either. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and you know, you can tell that Alexa Bliss has a huge connection with the fans. I presume she's face again. So you know. The fans absolutely love her, and, you know, there's no reason not to. Um, the New Day issue an open challenge for their tag team titles, and that gets answered by Intercontinental Champion Shinjuki fucking Nakamura, and he would have thought Sami Zayn, but no, James, you're wrong. It was Cesaro. That is a weird pairing, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed, yes. You know, seeing as though Cesaro's tag team partner has just returned, or former tag team yeah. partner has just returned, but... Anywho, um, absolutely fucking brilliant match. Again, you know, all four of these guys are really talented. Big E, um, Kingston, Cesaro, and Nakamura. Um, Kingston drops Cesaro with it to pick up the victory. Great match. Um, up next, we have uh, The Fiend coming out, asking if Daniel Bryan will play with him. <laughs> <laughs> but Daniel Bryan said, uh, you know, he felt like he changed in the middle of the match against uh, Bray, saying uh, the fans changed him and he pondered whether the fans brought the Yes movement back to life. He joined the fans for the Yes chance before he was interrupted by Bray Wyatt um, and then he got put out with the mandible claw. <laughs> <laughs> so the big comeback from Brian gets taken down. So it looks like this feud is going to continue to Royal Rumble. We were talking about this on the Survivor Series show and so maybe it wasn't the best idea but maybe have the Miz thrown in a little bit, and you know, triple threat match because the Miz has been involved recently with them, and that kind of makes maybe a little bit of sense rather than just having Brian getting destroyed by the Fiend yet but again. But then, isn't that a way of uh, the Fiends kind of losing the title but not losing the match? No, nah, the Fiend just destroy the Miz and Brian, and just well, you know, because we we all know the uh, the history between Brian and the Miz. It's you know, it's it's been going on for a while now, and it's it kind of fizzled out towards the end. You know, it didn't peak as much as I thought it would have done and hoped it would have done but you know nonetheless um, you know could these two guys see a way of working together to take out a common enemy well I think that'd be a good story told and especially when you've kind of got the build you kind of got the build up towards you know the Royal Rumble now coming with TLC that might be the best thing to do with it yeah. Is that it for Smackdown? That was it for Smackdown oh yeah. wow <laughs> Smackdown uh, my favourite bit for Smackdown was probably Roman Reigns for the announce table. They're trying to build him up again now, aren't they? And trying to say, look, he's a kind of powerful guy. Uh, obviously, he's got the match with Corbin going to come up at a TLC, so that'll be interesting to see. But we're kind of moving towards the Rumble, and we're going to see how things kind of fall into place with that. 
But uh, what were your thoughts on SmackDown this week then? I thought it was enjoyable. You know, it's good to see a, a couple of returns, um, you know, straight after Survivor Series as well. Um, it's it's kind of building its programming as well. We've still not got a viable challenger for Nakamura yet. You know, I think someone needs to establish themselves there. Um, as for everything else, it's kind of falling in place or cl- kind of closing out, mm. you know, just in time for WrestleMania season. I'm going to say this week, uh, out of all the pro, I think NXT was the best, but I think Raw might have been in second this week, you know, with what we saw. I preferred Raw to NXT, and, you know, I, I know NXT had some very good moments, but I think Raw, for as bad as it can be, it was better than that. So, yeah, you know, that's compared true. to Raw's, it was one of the best, better Raw's. Yeah, so we'll see what happens, and of course, we'll bring you all the other build up when we bring you our British special slash TLC, and we'll do that. Uh, after most ridiculous. Uh, but we move on now to injuries. Yes, the Undisputed Era versus Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic had to be improvised. Yeah, during an early commercial break, Bobby Fish was unexpectedly replaced in the match by Roderick Strong. Fears were told Fish was hurt, but weren't given to what extent. The match continued with Carlo Riley and Strong toppling Lee and Dijakovic. According to Fish, may have suffered a concussion during a spot involving Lee on Wednesday night. Yeah, Bobby Fish was hurt in the first minute of the match or so when Keith Lee threw him over the top rope and Kyle O'Reilly was supposed to catch him. O'Reilly didn't catch him or caught him enough and I was solely thought his fear was concussion. The last I heard was a couple of hours ago was that the thought may have been diagnosed differently later, but that was the thing that was told first. Yes, well, you know, it kind of... Uh... It piggybacks a rumour about Fish being not in a tag team title match. Yeah, but now we move on to news. News! And worlds collide. Well, now that they've done battling for brand supremacy at Survivor Series, NXT will once again have to defend their honour soon. Only this time against NXT UK. Triple H dropped a commercial on Monday for the next World Collide special taking place Saturday, January 25th in Houston during Royal Rumble weekend. Well, what will happen when NXT battles NXT UK? Worlds will collide. He captioned the video. Well, it will be taking place at NXT. It will be taking place instead of NXT Takeover on that weekend. Or well, NXT UK Takeover Blackpool Two Two will instead go down on Sunday, January the twelfth, and Takeover Portland will happen happen on Sunday, February the sixteenth. Yeah, tickets go on sale for Worlds Collide on the sixth of December, so we're going to have that. On the rock. So it's going to be quite a busy January, really, and a February, when we're already starting, we're going to have kind of two takeovers and a Wells Collide. Do you think NXT is a good idea for Wells Collide? Oh, I, you know, it's, uh, it can be good. It has potential to be good. Well, we might see stuff like Imperium versus um, Undisputed Era, 4-on-4, four four. then you can have maybe Volta versus Uncle in a singles match, or maybe try something different, you know, stick someone like Tyler Bate in there against someone, I don't know, against... Uh, Tommaso Ciampa you know maybe That'd be good. try it out a little bit I think NXT UK will um, struggle because we're only having two takeovers a year you know that's only when they're really relevant so they've got to kind of put the performance there as well but up next say it ain't so Dan well Maro misses Survivor Series and NXT due to Graves comments yeah Maro no was conspicuous in the absence of Survivor Series when Michael Cole attributed it to Renalo losing his voice during the takeover event and the real issue was Corey Graves' critical comments of Ronaldo during the War Games broadcast. Well, Graves tweeted out his criticisms of Ronaldo, seemingly ripping the play-by-play man for talking too much and making Chicago rap references. Yeah, Graves said, just for the record, guys, I know you wouldn't know it, but there's an actual WWE Hall of Famer and a former Ring of Honor champion on commentary. I imagine they have a lot to offer. 
I just turned on takeover. How many Chicago rap references have Maro made so far? Far too many. Well, Ronaldo has bipolar disorder and previously left WWE in 2017 amid rumours of bullying by JBL. In a statement announcing his departure, Ronaldo said their passing of ways had nothing to do with JBL. He resigned with WWE later that year to work at NXT, where he has been well regarded ever since, well, apart from by me. Yeah, you always hated him, but Dave Meltzer reported that WWE official was unhappy with Graves for his comments. Graves since called out Meltzer for his report on Twitter. He said, Dave Meltzer, you uninformed, false narrative pushing. My phone works. You're a journalist, right? You can find my number. Well, when Ale deleted his Twitter account in the aftermath of Graves' initial comments, like I said, Cole claimed that Maro would be back on NXT, but instead he was replaced. And um, it looks like we're not sure what's going to happen, but Corey has issued an apology. And here it is on After the Bell. On a personal note, I needed to address something. This past Saturday during TakeOver War Games event, I sent out a tweet. It was an unpopular opinion, as I often do with the intention of just stirring up a little controversy. Maybe have some something fun to talk about on TV or here on the show. It was maybe not the most professional way to go about things, and it was never meant to offend or disrespect or disparage anybody. That was never my intention. If it was taken as such, I apologise deeply. That was not my intention. I would never intentionally cause anybody undue stress, especially a co-worker, so I apologise. And I think that's right that you should apologise, because I know you hate him, but he does, you know, mental health issues are saying that, you know, even the littlest comments can push someone over the edge in that way, so I think it's right for Grace for t- uh, to, to apologise, and hopefully Ronaldo's back soon. I d- Everyone gets criticised, no matter what they do. And, you know, if you can't take criticism, then... You know, it's. I think it's down to you. You know, it's down to them. He wasn't being rude. He was just pointing out something that happens. You know, and yes, you know, maybe he shouldn't have been so insensitive as to tweet it out. But I think you know, you've got to be able to take criticism. No matter if you're, even if you're the best at what you do, you still get criticised for something in some way or another. Yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> no, exactly. How and feels. you know, I deal with criticism. I just fucking ignore it. <laughs> and. You know, yes, he does have mental issues, but it's not an excuse for spitting your dummy out and being a little bitch over things. Oh, no, you can't think you can't in my hand. <laughs> Gee, and we do not all think Dan's own personal views are his own. And, of course, you know, we issue is, is a fine line. There's to be treading, of course, a lot of work that needs to be done with it. Anyway, we'll move swiftly on. And next news story, staying put. Well, Pro Wrestling Sheet is reporting that Lana has signed a new WWE contract that will keep her with the company for at least five more years. No, James. At least five more years. At least seven to eight years. Ryan Satin noted that both sides are happy with the deal and the contract was signed this week. Well, a new deal will allow her to take some time off for outside projects such as movies with husband Rusev. That is titled Another Version of You. Is this the same Rusev that has a restraining order against her? It's going to be difficult to film, but I'm sure they can get away around it. Well, CGI, maybe? <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Lana and Rusev are currently involved in a storyline with Bobby Lashley, which is the worst storyline in ages. Lana wants a divorce from Rusev after hooking up with Lashley. This week on Monday Night Raw, Rusev attacked Lashley after being served with a restraining order. Yep, and Lashley and Rusev are meeting in the ring on a Starcade special on the network. And their plans for them to wrestle at the TLC pay-per-view as well. Rusev has also been in contract renewal talks. No word on if he agreed to terms, but Lana's signing would give the impression he's more likely to stay with yeah. WWE. So expect Lana to ask for a release in a couple of months. No, then. 
No. She's going to do the intelligent way. She's going to get knocked up. <laughs> I mean, because let's have a look at the people that have signed long-term contracts. People like Mike Canellis, who then asked for his release. Sin Cara <laughs> asked for his release. So we'll find out what happens to Lana. Will Rusev sign a contract extension? Who knows? <sighs> well, WWE versus AEW. Yeah, those fuckers. WWE is considering an action to block AEW from using the bash at the beach. While Cody owns a trademark to the event, WWE holds the right to the bash and could argue the old WCW title may be easily confused with its property. This move is petty given Cody's father, the late American Dwayne. That's the vast better. Coined the bash at the beach name at the same time, though, is in character with Vince Mann, who has never met an opportunity to stick it to the competition that hasn't been embraced. So we move on now. And on the network, there was one program, and I've, for, well, we've been doing this for nearly five years now, and Dan, there's not many times you turn to me and go, tell you what, there's something on the network I'm interested in watching, and you did today. <laughs> Indeed, Jess. Um, you know, as oh, so James pauses it and stops it and closes it down because I want to watch it. Um, no, it's, you know, it's, it's common knowledge that I have done away with the network. You know, I watch the main shows and then I come around here to use James's network. <laughs> come around here. Yeah, but I've had to get better internet connection because of the network. Yes, so he shit. has had to get um, fibre optic. It's been awful. And I'm going to pay so much more money for it now. So any donations are, are helpful. But the night after Survivor Series, we had uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's new series, Broken Skull Sessions. Uh, debut and his first guest was The Undertaker. Why were you so interested in well, mainly because, um, you know, I, I kind of hoped that Undertaker wouldn't be in his Undertaker character. He would just be Mark Calloway. Uh, it's got a rave reviews and they they share a couple of drinks as well. Which is... Well, after a few years, Steve Austin has returned to the W Network with another interview slash podcast gig. This one was given a lot of hype on WTV and for good reason as his first guest is The Undertaker. Hopefully it should be fantastic. It's really get anything from Taker out of character. But if you've been watching DVD releases and network specials in the last few years, he has done a few things here and there. Well, Austin starts by saying broken skull means that he had to break his head to get to the top. This show will be all about him getting inside the skulls of superstars who have made it to the top. He can only start this show one way, and that is with The Undertaker. Austin starts by asking Taker how he feels, and he says after 30 years, he's doing okay. He's made some changes to his diet and training and feels as good as he can. They talk about knowing each other since 1989 when they met in Dallas. Austin says Taker ran with his crew while he did his own thing. He said he thinks he knows Taker, but he's hoping to find out more. Well, Austin says that they both have a lot in common, including being from Texas. Austin became a fan of watching Houston wrestling and wants to know how Taker became a fan. His story is similar. He also grew up watching Houston wrestling and would go to shows. He was about eight years old and was able to shake Andre the Giant's hand. That's amazing. Taker mentions he fell out of watching wrestling, but came back to it. He talks about starting a business and start with Buzz Sawyer. He puts over home and shooter, but not the greatest human. Taker started training with him with a few other guys at Buzz's house. They went to the house for the first time, and Buzz was standing naked at his door, wondering what they were doing as he forget he made the offer to train them. Taker didn't know what to do other than shake his hand as he knew he needed to show respect. He talks about how all Buzz would do was stretch them out on mats with no ring anywhere, Taker was playing summer league basketball at the same time. We spent nights getting stretched. One day, Taker was able to turn Buzz and got his shoulders pinned for half a second. That pissed Buzz off, and Taker said he stretched for ten ways from Sunday. Kept dropping out, and they were down to four. When they showed up one day, Buzz was gone. So he packed up and left. He didn't take his dogs with him, so Taker took them just as a way of getting something out of it. 
Well, from there, Taker went to Memphis and Austin asked what he learned down there. He says he learned what the business is all about. He had to eat some crap sandwiches and push people who are greener than him. He brings up Soul Taker, the Papa Shango, and they didn't know what to do with him, so they made them a tag team. Austin brings up his run in Memphis and they put him in a match with Taker. Then called the, Taker called the match and Austin talks about how Taker would breathe and wake weird noises over calling the spots like, sa, sa, sa. Austin had a hearing problem and kept asking him, what? 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 Is that where it started? It must have been, what? What the hell? Um, and Taker started beating him and Austin laughed and said he was lost in a drizzling shit. This was edited out in the network. Taker says Austin may have been lost, but you could see something in him. He was in a spot where he could have had bad matches and gave Steve three chances for the spot, but then he had to do when he needed, and Austin agrees with him. Well, Austin tells the story of a six-man tag in Tennessee, and Austin needed a ride to the show. They tell him to drive with Taker because they were both from Texas. Well, Taker turned heel and told Austin they couldn't ride together because of the heel face dynamics. When Taker told Austin this, he told Taker to be careful as he is going to stretch him the next time they're in the ring. Taker was shocked and asked Dutchman and Dutch Mentel asked Taker if he was going to do about it <coughs> or what he was going to do about it. So in the match, Taker had Austin all tied up and Dutch was laughing about it on the floor and told Austin to slam Soul Taker when he gets back in the ring. That didn't go well as Soul Taker wasn't thrilled about it, but Dutch enjoyed all of it. Well, we jumped to WSW and Austin wants a story on how Taker got started there. Happened as Sid got injured in a match with the Steiners and they needed a monster to replace him. They talk about Spivey and Taker says he was a legit and salty. They were going to do a Chicago street fight with the Road Warriors at pay-per-view. In the build, they were going to get some heat at one of the Clash of Champions. So Sp- Spivey gets him to follow his lead. Spivey didn't like the book until this point, so he went to the town with a chair on the Road Warriors. Taker was kind of shocked and was into the Road Warrior mystique and thinks they're going to be really fighting backstage. They get to the dressing room they're near the door as Taker's talking up that a fight is coming once the Warriors get back here. The Road Warriors come around to the corner and thank Spivey for the great heat. Taker was baffled at what just happened, and the next they told Taker, good job, kid. Spivey just nodded at Taker, and he realised that the Warriors weren't going to test him. He then drops Taker off and tells him to get Ollie as he's done home. Well, Taker thought he was going to be getting a run, and instead Ole Anderson told him that nobody will ever pay to see him wrestle. Damn. Taker said that was a hit to his pride, but he knew he was done in WCW. Paul Heyman was his manager and saw something in Taker, so he was trying to get a door open for him in the WWF. Taker was going to have a meeting at Vince's house the night before Heyman convinced him to go out to the China Club, pull out a small sports car, and when Taker sat down, he tore a hole in the back of his pants. Not to worry about it, he would find a girl to Solem. Paul convinced him to go to the club, and he sat in one spot all night. They got home at 4 a.m., and he's going through Paul's mum's sewing kit to fix the hole. This is tremendous. <laughs> you can imagine that, can't Yeah, you? I'm taking a hole in his trousers. <laughs> Well, he makes the meeting with Vince and they ask him if he has any hidden talent and he lets slip that he sings in the shower. He immediately knew it was a mistake because he was worried he was going to get a gimmick as a shower boy. He didn't expect them to say they didn't have anything for him right now. That's the answer he got. He had nothing to fall back on as he already gave notice to WCW. After uh, the WWF told him they may have something after Mania. Austin asked about the phone call. He mentioned he got the phone call and was told he was going to be the ringmaster with Ted DiBiase. To him, the gimmick sounded like crap, but he had a wife, kid, and mortgage. He knows Taker got the same kind of call. And before get into the story, Austin brings out some whiskey, and Taker wants to know what took him so long to break it out. <laughs> well, Taker talks about watching until he got the call, and he sees they are hyping up an egg that will be hatching. He got sick to his stomach as he thought this meant he was going to end up as Eggman. He started growing his hair out and was convinced they weren't going to make him shave his head and eyebrows. He didn't get the phone call now and was sure enough it came. 
Sorry, he didn't want to get the phone call now and was sure enough it came. Vince is on the phone and he asks if this is The Undertaker. Taker says he quickly realised that he wasn't Eggman. So that's certainly great to him. He told Vince that he could be there tomorrow. He had no clue what The Undertaker was, but it sounded much better than The Eggman. Well, they show some early artwork from the character and it's pretty fascinating to see. Austin asked what he thought of the gimmick and he's an athlete that was an old school and now he's getting a full-blown character. Tim, it was a pitch as an old Western Undertaker. He thought the idea was cool, but he realised he could no longer work as mean Mark. He had to use Vince's vision and came to the conclusion he couldn't do all the athletics to slow all of his stuff down. Well, Austin wants to know how he's able to change his style so quickly and mentions that when he made his debut, kids were terrified. They cut to the Taker's debut at Survivor Series and he had the character down cold from day one. It was just amazing to see. And as a nine-year-old, it had me kind of scared as well. Taker said he decided he wanted to lure people in and it clicked that he needed to be like Mike Myers or Jason from Friday the 13th. He himself worked slow, but was always in the right spot where he, he could work slow, but hit something fast and then throttle it back down. He says he could have jumped over the ropes and landed on his feet, but he... News that would have fizzled out in three years. He quickly knew he needed to pull back to move forward. He learned quickly that less is more and he thinks that that is a lesson people need to learn today. He puts over Austin and his character and the fans bought into it and expect to see him with a beer and flipping people off while he was in public. Taker talks about living the gimmick and even if he was out in public, he was always wearing black. He never put himself in situations. Situations. Where he wasn't what he was on TV. Austin talks about Survivor Series match where he made his debut. Brings up how he spiked Coco and eliminated him and all respect to him. But the moment was when he knocked Dusty off the top rope. Takes what, Taker talks about his love for the guys like Dusty Flair and Steamboat. He had to bite his lip from marking out working with American Dream. He fell into the match and the fans were buying what he was selling. To mention that no one else could make that gimmick work. Austin wants to know what the other guys in the match thought about Taker making his debut and no sending everything. Taker says they weren't happy, but it was his time, and Austin mentioned it is a dog-eat-dog business. He relates to what he felt he wasn't worthy when he beat Bobby Easton for the TV title or beat two of the three birds at a TV taping. Taker says the same thing as to deal with internally what he's going over so many legends in his early run. After the match, he went up to Dusty and thanked him because of the respect he had. He had so much emotion, he was thinking about Ollie saying no one ever paid to see him. Then he anxiety thinking he would be the Eggman. Austin gets back to talking about the gimmick. And wants to know who had the most input with the character. He wants to know who Taker would go to and Taker wants him to guess if you take Vince out of the equation. Austin can't come up with a name and Taker says it was Jake. The he told him to look outside the box to find things to put the character. He remembers Jake saying, once the music starts, you are that character. Taker says he probably took a car and was that outside the ring as well. He knew Jake wasn't a yeller or a screamer with his promos and he wanted to do the same. He talks about Paul Bearer being a big part of doing what, of doing most of the talking and all he had to do was say rest in peace in a low but deep voice and it resonated. Steve wants to talk about the body of work and talks about Jake coming into New York. When he came into the company he got heat for having good matches as Vince just wanted him to get over. Austin says that the point wasn't to have five star matches but instead needed to get the character over. Taker says that is a fair assessment. He's put his ego in check. He would see guys tear the house down. And he knew he could do the same with his size, but knew nobody would care. It took a while, but eventually it became a second nature. He couldn't see things the way the audience did, but his pride was hurt to see guys like Bret Hart tear the house down. He realised his deal was different pops than what Bret was getting. Bret would get them for having five-star matches while he was getting them for rolling his eyes in the back of his head. It didn't take long for the fans to get what he was doing and talks about how he was asked so many times for fans if he was really dead. Awesome. 
Absolutely. Whilst it talks about how often Taker has been able to change his gimmick, for a lot of guys, leaving that character would have career suicide. But it worked for him. Taker said that if he ever started to feel stale, he knew the audience was probably already feeling it. He doesn't think his Taker character would have lasted all the way through the Attitude Era. He felt handcuffed by the character, and that is why he came back with the American Badass. It also gave him the ability to bring the Dead Man character back years later. They show footage of the American Badass debuting during the Rock Triple H Iron Man match, and the crowd reaction is insane. Austin is just popping over everything, and they're showing, and Taker puts over Triple H for taking such a great chokeslam. Well, Taker says the show was nerve-wracking. He's been gone for nearly a year. He was not only coming back, but he's in a completely different gimmick. If that didn't work, then he's screwed, but fortunately, it was the right time for it. Austin jumps back a bit and wants to talk about life on the road. Taker talks about all the crazy stuff that happened on the road and people think that only rock stars do things like that. <clears throat> they take another shot and Taker shares a story about Cypress Hill. In his WCW days and early WWF days, he would burn the midnight oil. They would tell stories and drink whiskey. This happened on the backside of a 17-day tour and Taker tells him he needed a day off. He decides to say hello to everyone in the bar and then head to bed. Well, Cypress Hill was in the bar as well and they were touring and they could tell Taker that they heard that he could party. He realised that he had to stay and party <laughs> when someone made a smart comment to him. He drank all the whiskey and they closed the bar down. It ended up with Taker and X-Pac still standing and they ended up in a room with Cypress Hill. They were into marijuana and that wasn't his deal. But the room was filled with haze and he remembers seeing bodies laying everywhere and X-Pac was falling asleep on his shoulder. He woke him up and told him that their work was done. They opened the door and all this smoke poured out and he knew he had an early call the next morning but didn't want to show up show that night but didn't want to show that night did anything to him. So he woke up and no sold everything. Austin says that story was legendary and has always been a famous one with the boys. Austin brings up the famous picture from the back of the bus, you know the one that's floated around all over the internet, and takes it it's famous because Hall and Nash were about to head to WSW. They mention that Triple H is not a drinker and everyone knows that is his deal. Take brings up that Hall and Nash were heading to WWE soon. We'll be kicking their ass every week on Nitro. Austin jumps on that and brings up the curtain call. Taker says he wasn't there that night. Austin goes over the whole deal and how Triple H got punished. He wants Taker's thoughts on the Monday Night War. He knew WCW was kicking their ass because they were doing the same thing based more in reality. They were still doing some hokey things in WWE and they knew once they flipped the switch, things would change. He says that if the ship went down... He was going to get with Vince because he never forgot what he was told by Ollie Ann. Austin wants to know how close Taker was with Vince. He says they've been a really good creative relationship. The character was Vince's creation, but he gave him a lot of slack to do things. Taker mentioned he never thought of himself as a locker room leader, but he'd just been there so long. There were times when he made more in one pay-per-view payoff than he did in the whole year. That gives everyone an idea just how bad things got at times. He talks about butting heads with Vince, but he never forget that Vince gave him his chance. So back to the American badass, but it soon changed to big evil. That was his hybrid of both gimmicks and gave him a chance to work differently. Austin said that is where Taker started having great matches and talks about the four-year mania stretch with Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Taker jokes that you can say what you want about Shawn, but that boy can work. In the matches with Triple H, they that they couldn't do what he did with Shawn, so they had to make it more physical. They showed a picture of Taker, Shawn and Triple H leaving the ring together after Hell in a Cell match at Mania 28. For Taker, Shawn was retired and he wasn't sure at that point if he was ever going to come back. 
it caused a moment organic as I didn't have. Austin asked Taker how long the high from a good match carried him, and Taker says not long as soon as the pain came back. Usually about an hour after the match, things would start to kick in again. The reality was that he was battered and beat up in like weeks. He said it was all worth it. He says that everyone from the generation is gone. For him, it's now about the challenge of getting ready to perform at a level people expect. He will do face events from time to time, and his demon is becoming a parody of himself. He admits there have been matches where he thought he stayed too long. Well, they show Taker putting his boots and gloves in the ring at Mania 33. He thought he was gone, but he was talked into coming back by Vince. Austin brings up being done at Mania was perfect and admits that he should have brought up the streak. Back at Mania 30 and we get the ending of the match with Brock ending the streak and the reaction. Austin wants to know that it was a good time, that if that was a good time to walk away. Taker says that within the first five minutes of the match he suffered a concussion. He doesn't even remember this night and he says he watched the match back. The last thing he can remember is his wife talking to him at 3.30pm. At this time he has a two hour process that he needs to get ready for a match. He was taken to the hospital after the match and only remembers getting his 4am. Wow. Well, the only thing he could remember was his wife's first name. He had no clue his birthday or where he was. He asked his wife for the answers and she wouldn't tell him because she knows it's serious. Take said it was nothing Brock did and that Brock also didn't know he was concussed. He says the match screwed up his confidence, which is weird to say. Most think of a 25-year career, you wouldn't get shook, but it happens. He's in shape for the match, but his body wasn't ready for the trauma and still doesn't know what caused the concussion. He says it ate him up well and it became personal. He wasn't going to end his career that way. Well, that's, you know, it <laughs> changes your perspective of things, doesn't it? Boston brings up their match at SummerSlam in the Garden where he got concussion only two minutes into the match. He's still irritated to this day that he couldn't give Taker his best that night and Taker tells him that things happen and he shouldn't feel bad. Again, he doesn't blame Brock and says this is... Austin says that maybe he could still be wrestling if he had the information people do now with training and nutrition. Taker says that he's only come across one person who has had a peace with his decision to leave and it was Sean. He thinks it may have been a blessing for Steve as he didn't have to make the decision. He says Steve was smart enough to know how the long-term effects and Taker says there are days he feels great but others days are bad. It becomes dangerous when he tried to work with fear. Austin said he didn't deal with it with real good fashion. Taker says that each time he goes out, it's just for the one time in his mind. He brings up the match with Goldberg at Saudi Arabia and Steve and said it was a tough day at the office. Well, surprisingly enough, we don't get much more on that match. But other than Taker saying pride is a son of a bitch and he wasn't, gonna, he wasn't going out on that note, he jokes he's retired 15 times as he tells his wife he's done after each match. I'll get into all for this shit. <laughs> she just rolls her eyes at him, <laughs> which is quite comical. Anyway, nailed it. Well, he says that what gets him is when people tell him what he needs to do. If someone comes to him and says that it's time, it better be someone like Steve, Sean, or Triple H who he respects. He knows they would come to him and tell him. He knows he, that he puts him in a tough spot as to who is going to tell The Undertaker it's time to hang it up. Well, Steve wants to talk about his negative for a guy that was told that no one was ever going to pay to see him. He talks about the great times and brings up the boxing documentary, We Were Kings, and that's what he thinks about the time they had. They start showing photos on the screen, Austin and Taker have a stroll down memory lane. Well, before they go, Austin says he has a long-standing apology for Taker. They show footage of them doing a match in England, and Austin brace, Austin's brace nearly cuts Taker's ear off. Taker says he doesn't need to apologise to him, and needs to apologise to Kurt Angle. Austin knows that story as they had to get out of the building and had to take a quick shower basically in a sink. They had to jump on a plane and while Austin is drinking, he doesn't realise Taker is passing in and out. 
This is the infamous plane ride from hell where Michael Hayes had his ponytail cut off. Angle and Vince have a wrestling match and Taker wakes up not knowing what is happening and sees Kurt taking Vince down. He jumped on Kurt and puts him in a sugar sleeper hold. The boys had to let him know that they were just playing around. They then joke about throwing potatoes at each other and Austin tells about how he made it a goal to make Taker break character during a show. They were at a soccer stadium in Kuwait. There were only about 800 people in a 40,000-seat stadium. The match was a battle royale, performed an eight-man headlock and headlock chain, and it all went downhill from there. Austin broke out in a fit of giggles, and Taker was next to him and did all he could but started laughing. Austin talked about Aldo Montoya getting into the ring and getting in on the headlock chain, and instead of putting the last guy in the headlock, he went to the other end and let the last guy put him in a headlock. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Well, we jumped to a video of guys trying to break Taker from character. First is JBL after a show cut and a promo, and Taker said he was biting his lip. Next up is before Invasion 2001, and Vince is giving a pep talk with Austin being his hype man. You see Taker nearly breaking character because of what Austin is doing. Next up is Booker T trying to do... Uh, <laughs> For the take to the Undertaker Rooney. Taker said he wasn't hot, but he couldn't think of how he was going to get out of it. He talks to the camera and tells Vince wants to know who put Booker up to this. And he better get out here if he isn't doing it. Sure enough, Vince does come out and Taker nearly cracks a smile. The crowd chant for Vince and we get McMahon and Rooney. And it is glorious. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> Taker says there's only part that's kept sending guys out and Taker was able to sneak out. Vince sent show to go get him, but it wasn't happening. They continue to remember times Steve tried to break him and talks about painting eyes on his hand and telling Taker to look into his eyes. Leo's just having a blast. Well, Steve wraps things up and knows they barely touched the surface on his career and thinks they need another session together. Taker talks about how amazing it is that two rednecks from Texas are sitting in a TV studio like this. They take one shot for the road and reference George Strait as they close. Well, this app was absolutely fantastic and flew by even with it being nearly an hour and 40 minutes. As also mentioned, there's so much they left out, and I hope we do get another episode. Taker was great here, and hearing about the things he has struggled with as far as the end of his career are fascinating. The same thing with him talking about how he had to slow things down when he's figuring out the Taker character. The closing sequence when they're cutting loose and with the stories of Austin trying to break Taker were fucking brilliant, and I want more. Take the time to check this show out, and the series is going to be a great one. I hope it sticks around for a while. Dan, what are your thoughts on this? I told you I wanted to watch it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's absolutely been brilliant. It is just two guys having a laugh, talking, you know, shooting the shit about their, you know, about things, and you know, they bring a nice comedic value to it. And you can tell these two guys have been friends for a very, yeah. very long time as yeah. well. It is, it is a great thing, and even more excited. W reportedly wants an Austin Punk interview as well. Well, the series, which is essentially a taped podcast, has been ordered for an undetermined number of episodes. Mike Johnson of uh, PW Insider reported WWE had been pushing internally for seeing a guest with Austin. Punk is currently easing his way back into wrestling business after being hired by FS1's W Backstage program. Both Punk and W have been insistent that Punk works only for Fox and no in return is coming yet. This doesn't necessarily prevent Punk from appearing on Broken Skull, but it would be a whole lot easier to book a coming full circle moment that culminates in a return to the ring and a long-form interview. Raw Rumble, everybody. Hmm? So, we move on. Yes, December 1999. What a time to be alive. The world was on the edge of the mythic Y2K, where everyone in the 80s assumed we'd have flying cars and such. 
A lot of these same people apparently thought our computers would have massive anxiety attacks and end the world. Because the computers would think it was 1900 and they shouldn't exist yet or something stupid like that. Well, in the world of professional wrestling, the WF was told the Monday Night Wars. Nitro was continuing its slide while Raw was holding strong as a superior brand. WSW is struggling going into the end of the millennium and Vince Russo is not yet proven to be the saviour they needed. Starcade was a final pro wrestling pay-per-view in 1999 and surely... Don't call me Shirley. WSW could deliver with the flagship event, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out. This is the 17th Starcade in history. We're coming from Washington in the MCI Centre. 11,799 in attendance on the 19th of December. Commentary, Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, Scott Hudson, called Shane Douglas and Ferreira as well. Buy rate 0.23, which is a considerable drop of 1.1 buy rate for the previous years. Starcade, let's just run through the card quickly. Well, we have a tag team match. Disco Inferno and Lash LaRue versus the Mamelukes, and that is Big Vito and Johnny the Ball with Tony Mariana. We've got a double-stop match. Evan Courageous with Spice versus Medusa. A WCW hardcore title match. Norman Smiley versus Meng. We've got an eight-man tag team match. Jim Duggan and the Varsity Club. Kevin Sullivan, Mike Rotunda and Rick Steiner with Leia Meow versus the Revolution, Asia, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn and Shane Douglas. You've got... Steve Williams with Oklahoma versus Vampiro with the Misfits. You've got Oklahoma with Steve Williams versus Vampiro if Vampiro wins that match. You've got a six-man tag team match. Creative Control, that's Gerald and Patrick and Kurt Henning with Shane versus Harlem Heat, Booker T and Stevie Ray and Midnight. Bunkhouse Brawl match, Dustin Rose versus Jeff Jarrett and that is J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T. You've got... Something on a pole match. Yeah, Vince Russo. It is a crowbar on a pole. It is David Flair versus DDP. You've got Lex Luger versus Sting. If Sting wins, Miss Elizabeth's contract with Luger, who's been treated badly, is void. You've got a master of the powerbomb match. Kevin Nash versus Sid Vicious. Master and ruler of the world. You've got a WWE United States heavyweight title. A ladder match is vacant. Scott Hall has had to vacate the championship. It's going to be Chris Benoit versus somebody. We'll find out later. You've got a WCW world heavyweight title. No disqualification match. Bret Hart versus Goldberg. Yeah, and that is going to be a huge main event. Can that save Starcade? Let's get the show started. Now, the show opens with a video highlighting the entire card as Scott Hudson runs down a 30-match card, which is incredibly fast and kind of annoying. Well, Big Vito and Johnny the Bull with Tony Mariana versus Disco Inferno and Lash LaRue kicks us off. Well, the story here is that Disco Inferno owed money to the Mafia and Tony Marinara... I can't even say it with a straight face. And Tony Marinara sent Vito and Johnny after him. They honestly couldn't think of a better name for him than Marinara. For all, but it breaks down when the hills take control working over LaRue. Disco comes in rather hot, but Johnny the Bull stops him in his tracks. The Italians try a big boot and a net breaker, but it's time. Time it all wrong and it comes off looking ugly. They continue to work heat on Disco until LaRue gets a mild tag. He comes in and does his things. The hill turns things around and Johnny leaps to the top. He slips, causing the fans to give an actual reaction before missing a spinning leg drop. Disco hits a frog splash off the top and a slow count, allowing Vito to break it up. The faces mess up when Disco hits a chart bust on LaRue. He could break the pen up, but instead backdrops Johnny the Ball over the top and looks at him. That allows a free count to finish. A big feat of Johnny the Ball win at 9.39. Well, this was actually better than I thought it would be. They worked tag formula and did pretty well with it. There were a few botches in the crowd, not being very hot, hurt things. 
But they went out and did a relatively fine job. Well, the Marinana Mafia takes Disco Inferno out in a body bag. Maybe gimmick infringement was the real reason behind the short Untaker FBI feud in WWE a few years later. Anyway, Disco fights out, only to end up in a trunk of a car for Heenan to steal the show with a line of, Disco Inferno was 25. <laughs> well, now commentary informs us of a knee injury that Scott Hall has, so he can't defend his US title against Chris Benoit in a ladder match tonight. He was forced to forfeit the belt and Benoit was just given the belt. Benoit shows up and calls it stupid because you should have to win titles. He issues an open challenge to anyone who wants to replace Hall in the... We get a WWE Cruiserweight Championship match. Evan Courageous versus Medusa. Okay, well, these two were dating on screen, but Evan left Medusa for the younger Nitro gal. Man, remember when the Cruiserweight title was a big deal? Yeah, me neither. Medusa hits a crossbody off the apron during Evan's entrance. Inside, she dares Evan to hit her, and when he does, he absolutely nails her. He misses an Asai moonsault, but then slams her from the top and hits a decent powerbomb. Medusa struggles to bridge up from a pin and nearly murders Evan on a powerbomb attempt. I legitimately gasped out of fear. Fans chant boring even after Evan leaps out of her, uh, leaps out onto her. Spice gets on the apron, distracting Evan. She then proceeds to hit the worst low blow I've ever seen. Medusa now has a German suplex to capture the belt. Your winner and new WWE Cruiserweight Champion Medusa in 3 minutes and 32 seconds. Well, the Cruiserweight title matches used to be the highlight of a WCW pay-per-view, but it has fallen greatly. This was very terrible throughout. Backstage, mean bar guard Gene goes to interview Norman Smiley about his match tonight. Smiley says he isn't scared of Ming, but he then shrieks when a producer nearby makes a sudden move. I love Norman Smiley. Well, it is a WCW Hardcore Championship. Smiley shows up with a cart of weapons, which he throws at Meng. Meng shugs it off and beats him up to the back. When they get backstage, Norman hits Meng with a trash can, but he no-sells it, causing Smiley to scream. Shivoni thinks that maybe the screaming is so his opponent will feel sorry for you. As they brawl some more, Brian Nobbs appears to attack Meng, but gets beat up because Meng is greater than Nobbs. Fit Finley shows up to help, and Meng continues to just no-sell everything. He finally goes down after a lead pipe shot. Smiley gets up from under a table and covers Meng with the most cautious one-handed pin in history to retain. So you win out and still WWE Hardcore Champion Norman Smiley in 429. I mean, was it a great match? No, but man, I had a good time watching it. Norman Smiley's fun and Ming being a badass was great. Well, Nick Patrick checks on Meng, who grabs him in the Tobin death kit. <laughs> Cutting away, someone delivers a gift to David Flair. It's a golden, golden crowbar. Cutting again, Dr. Death is getting ready with Oklahoma. They cut for a second and suddenly the misprints are back to Oklahoma. Wait, what? How did this happen so quickly? Our next match of Revolution, Dean Malenko, Pace, and Chuglas Asia versus Jim Duggan and the Varsity Cup Night Rotunda, Kevin Sullivan and Rick Steiner with Lei Lee Meow. Well, Jim Duggan had to pick mystery partners. Reuniting the Varsity Club for a night is cool, but the crowd seemed clueless about who or what the Varsity Club was. If Duggan's team win, the Revolution must be janitors, and if the Revolution win... Duggan must denounce the USA. Shane Douglas shows how much he cares about the match by going on commentary. Duggan plants on Saturn and Malenko. Malenko and Saturn seem so disinterested as Saturn puts in the minimal effort. When the heels come in, the Varsity Club rush in and Big Brawl ensues. Duggan refused to tag them in throughout the match, so the Varsity Club turn on him. Douglas then runs in and covers Duggan for the free. The winners, the Revolution in 4.53. Yeah, it was horrible. Jim Duggan staying in the ring throughout makes for bad wrestling. The other team was so disinterested that it just had zero redeeming qualities. 
Shane Douglas cuts a promo on Jim Duggan having to denounce his American citizenship. Uses the work stinking far too often. Probably as a replacement for fucking since this isn't ECW anymore. Our next match is Steve Williams versus Vampiro. Well, if Vampiro wins, he gets five minutes alone with Oklahoma. The Misfits wheel out the cage with Oklahoma in it. He has a headset so he can call the match. Oh, joy. Vampiro leads, leaps off the cage onto Williams in the aisle. Vampiro pounds on Williams, right punches and kicks, but Williams won't go down. He busts out of the corner with a shoulder block. Oklahoma shouts, miss, miss, when Williams misses a splash. They fight up top where Williams hits a top rope belly-to-belly suplex. Though Vampiro nearly lands on his head, the misfits run in and Williams takes them all out. Williams throws mounted punches on Vampiro and shoves the official who tries to pull him off, leading to a DQ. This gets the point across, but just wasn't very good. It was just Vampiro kicking Williams until he got into the offence. The belly-to-belly was nice, but having to hear Oklahoma throughout this match sucked balls heavily. Yes, so it is Oklahoma versus Vampiro. Yeah, since Dr. Death beat up Vampiro, Oklahoma is actually excited to get in the ring for his five minutes. He hits a DDT and some stumps, calling his offence on the headset throughout. The time was cut short since the time was started before Oklahoma even exited the cage. Vampiro hits a big chop and Urinagi. The Misfits all get shots in an Oklahoma full of nail in the coffin. Ends it. Yes, and the winner was Vampiro in 2 minutes 52. It's really hard to rate this. It wasn't really a match, but it kind of was. What I do know is that it wasn't entertaining. And then Kurt Henning in creative control with Vincent and LaParker in the office of the powers that be. They'd be kind of ignoring Henning because they are focused on something big happening tonight. Cutting away, Mike Tanay interviews Harlem Heat about their issues and tensions in recent months. Steve Ray blames Midnight and says that he won't have Booker's back in a match tonight. Well, it is Kurt and Kurt Henning versus Harlem Heat and Midnight. Midnight's in- entrance involves the lights going out and the bell tolling. Then she appears. So, base- so she's basically a ripped black female version of The Undertaker. Booker and Midnight start rather hot, but then the hills begin to work heat on Midnight. Kerhenning chops are incredibly hard at one point. They do a faux hot tag spot where Nick Patrick misses it. Stevie Ray shows up, but Booker shoes him to the back. Booker gets the crowd loves him. Henning stops him with some sort of weapon that he awkwardly hides after pinning Booker. Your winners, Kurt Henning and Create Control in 7.53. This was flat out bad. The story of Harlem Heat split was fine, but the match itself wasn't. Understood working the heat on midnight, but she wasn't really capable of selling, and it just came off wrong. And now we move on to the bunkhouse brawl. Dustin Rhodes just being interviewed, being interrupted by uh, Jeff Jarrett, and of course that is T and Jeff Jarrett is wearing chaps, which means this is bunkhouse. We are in the deep south. Hickville. Hickville, and these two guys coming from famous families, of course the Jarretts and the Rhodes, and now they're coming to ringside. He looks really chunky, doesn't he? Dustin Rhodes let himself go. I mean, he gold dust early on in the year. And then uh, due to problem, I mean, he had, to, how do you say, the, the demons that all WWE wrestlers seem to have. Drugs and or alcohol. Exactly. Like I said, just putting on a weight, really unhealthy, but Double J's got the wheelbarrow. And just runs into Dustin with it. Can Starcade be saved? Apart from Norman Smiley, it's not been good tonight. Absolutely not, no. Now, Jarrett emptying the wheelbarrow of its uh, thin bits of wood. Uh, that knocks Jarrett, uh, knocks um, Rhodes into the wheelbarrow. They're not two by fours, are they? <laughs> uh, half by probably inch. And now Jarrett's just sending Dustin into the barricade. Which, uh, for an unfortunate member of the uh, ringside staff who was uh, said to have a child in barricade. 
No, the beer just went in Jarrett's face as he gets caught with the right hand. But that's kind of fire dusting up. Who scoop slams Jarrett into the wheelbarrow. And then uses the wheelbarrow again to roll him a couple of feet and then just tips him out. And Jarrett doesn't want any of this. Of course, Jarrett came over to WCW just a couple of months ago after he uh, held WF for ransom. And now, well, we, what we need in this match is more cowbell. And Dustin's bringing it to the ring like a good old cowboy. Yeehaw. He does. He doesn't look like Dustin Rhodes. He's in better shape now, isn't he? He looks, like, <laughs> he looks more Dusty Rhodes than Dustin Rhodes. Cracks Jarrett in the gut and then just snaps a stick over his head. Or I say it was a twig. And he's shot to the face with it as well. Dustin seems to be enjoying himself. You get a cowbell. And he's got the rope from the cowbell and he's... Looks like he's tying up Jarrett's hand. He's going to hog tie him. Away! I know all these, boy. <laughs> Squeal, piggy! Squeal, boy! Well, he's going to ring Jarrett's bell. And he's put the, uh, he's put like a strap on him, hasn't he? And he's going to keep hold. I don't think Jarrett wants the strap on. He's in serious trouble. He's going to get he's gonna get hit with that bell end in a minute. As he's sitting on the announce table. Oh, well, Dustin slaps Jarrett over the side with the bell. And Heenan's taking no chances on commentary. And Dustin, sitting on the announcer's table, jumps off with a cowbell straight to the forehead. Hit so hard he'll have a five head as he looks to get away. But, of course, he's tied and sent into the ring post. <coughs> Dustin going into his pocket for cocaine. <laughs> See if it's going to be cocaine or sugar. And he goes right in Harry's. <laughs> he ain't letting no sugar go. He's eating all that, boy. And I feel sorry for the crowd here. They've paid their ticket. This is meant to be their WrestleMania of WSW. And we're getting this. But getting, he's getting uh, whipped. A fat gold dust whipping Jeff Jarrett with a belt. And uh-huh. it goes for the ref as well. And how's the referee going to make... He get punched in the face. How's he going to do anything? Well, he's ducked three to the ring ropes. Why would you waste your time doing that with a ref? Unless he's going to do something that's disgusting. Now, Dustin spent more time probably taping up the referee than he has on offense. Well, he shut up the referee by putting a bit of tape across his mouth. And now Dustin with the right hands to Jarrett, who's down on his knees right now. He's helpless, so's the referee. And he's got the chaps from Jarrett, he's whipping him. Oh, and Jarrett with a low blow. And here comes Kurt Henning down ringside. I wonder what he's doing out here. Who knows? And Jarrett now whipping Dustin. Jarrett got back into it, and now he's got the chaps choking Dustin as Henning looks from the apron. And he looks like he's letting the referee go. Yep, you're right. Kurt is taking the tape off. The referee that sets Dustin up with the wood. Well, he needs it so that the referee can count a victory. But why has, why has Kurt come out here to help? I don't know. What's Kurt's motives? He's taking his time. Well, now Jarrett's got a sleeper on Dustin. Kurt's now let the referee go to check. Dustin's dropped down to one knee. Dustin down on the uh, on the canvas and referee's now checking the hands. He's gone down once. And now twice, and Jarrett and Kurt Henning looking on now with interest. Well, he dropped the third time. He is out if it does. No. Defiant Dustin Rhodes holds the middle finger up. Now he's trying to get the crowd on his side. He gets to his feet. Turns it around. Oh, Jarrett ducks a clothesline attempt. Tries getting a sleeper on, but Dustin manages to throw... Jarrett. Okay, and then they went round to Jarrett, and I think might put something in his hand. Well, he's got the belt. Goes to punch Dustin, but he blocks it. Catch him with a right of his own. Jarrett coming off the ropes again. Oh, gets caught with a Uranagi, I suppose. But no, Hennig pulls Dustin out the ring as he was going for a pinfall attempt. 
distracting the former Goldust who sits down on Jarrett. Henning punches him in the head. Jarrett rolls up for a pin. Two. No. Dustin managing to kick out. Uh, well, that looked awful. Absolutely. And now both men get to their feet. And you're going to set them up for the Shattered Dreams. Kurt's on the apron, but Dustin taking his sweet-ass time. Well, catches Henning as he tries making his way in the ring and shatters Jeff Jarrett's dreams into a cover. One, two. This time, Henning pulls the referee out. So then he gets pulled, pulled into the ring the hard way. Set up in a corner. Is he going to get his dreams shattered? Yep, Dustin says, fuck you, and hits him in the nuts. Hits the oncoming Jarrett with a back elbow. Henning is selling this perfectly. A lot better than Dustin settled getting out the ring. Yeah, he's falling to the outside now. Jarrett going up the entrance way. He sends him into barricades. Let's not forget this is a bunkhouse brawl. Oh, wow. Jarrett looking to use the um, wheelbarrow on Dustin, who just pushes it back into Jarrett's face, sends him tumbling over. And what is Dustin doing going up that entrance way? Climbing, and he must be at least two feet in the air. At least a foot and a half up. Comes off with some really weird kick. Well, he has got those cowboy boots on, though. Well, Henny comes back, but gets caught with a slap from Dustin. And hits a running bulldog off him, but Jarrett's climbed the ladder. It's guitar. Well, Dustin doesn't realise Jarrett's about four rungs up. Oh, jumps off, cracks the guitar over Dustin's head. Two, three. And Jeff Jarrett beats Dustin. <laughs> and Slapnuts gets caught. Jarrett wins. Dan, what are your thoughts on that match? Absolutely fucking awful, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. These two guys, if this was in WWE, they probably would have had a half-decent match, but it wasn't even that. It's like, yep, go to WCW and just phone it in. We had no tables, did we? We had nothing like that. And we've got David uh, Flair backstage with his uh, special gold crowbar. He's beating up a fluffy toy, cuddly toy with it. I fear... This is not going to get any better, but we hope, because up next, DDP, David Flair, crowbar on the pole match, money. So, yes, we move on to our next match. See DDP getting interviewed in the back and saying that David Flair's a son of a bitch for stalking his wife. He's going to put an end to him in a crowbar on a pole. Bala bing, bala boom, bada. Bang. And DDP's coming out here, really fractured, and he looks cool, man, with those shirts, sunglasses. No one looks like him, really, I tell you that. No, I've not seen a uh, a silky kind of looking shirt and a pair of sunglasses with one eyebrow raised. No. I mean, it is just a completely unique character. I find DDP is the people's champion of WCW as well, actually. Yes, and uh, the diamond cutter is the most electrifying move in sports entertainment today. Yeah, if it wasn't for the diamond cutter, there would be no RIOs. So we've seen the origins of that now. But Paige... We've been watching WWE closely these past few years, haven't we? And I think DDP is the only one that's one of the few that stood out above the rest, hasn't he? You know, absolutely. Yeah, he. Um, well, him. You know, you got the likes of Goldberg as well. But David Flair's come in as DDP was uh, readying himself for the match with his golden crowbar. And just a cheap shot. The former United States champion hasn't been sleeping for a while. Got his stepbrother in the ring with him as well, officiating the match. Really, <laughs> That's been one of the best things that we've seen, really, from WSW this past year or so. Lil Nate. Apart from that, David Flair, of course, getting his position because he truly deserves it. He's one of the best. He is, yes, and it's nothing to do... I mean, we don't see that with any other Flair kids. Of course we don't. We won't want Dean Malenko in this match or anybody else like that. David Flair, like guy. 
And DDP's in serious trouble already in this match. But the match can't start until DDP's in the ring and ready. So did we find out who delivered the Golden Crowbar to David Flair? Nope, we never found that out. And Charles Robinson now is telling the uh, ring announcer that DDP can't compete, so David Flair wins. No DDP stopping the announcement. No, he's saying, I'm going to carry on. I'm going to fight. David Flair can't believe it. Charles Robson rings for the bell. But David Flair with the knees to the midsection taking Paige down. A couple of axe smashes and now kicks in the corner. Oh, David Flair, though, he's been uh, on DDP since he had the uh, the jump out of this match. Apart from the roll-up from Paige just now, but Flair manages to get up at two. Two. So I guess you can pin someone on this uh, crowbar on the pole. And to be fair, that crowbar is not that far up either, is it? No, Paige tried lifting David Flair up, but David like, shifts his weight, lands on top of him in a cover, but Paige managing to kick out. Ah, it must be there. You can, I think you could reach it if you went to the uh, bottom rope. I think you could, yes. You could probably leap it with, uh, reach it with a little leap, like a salmon. Sunset flip attempt by David, but a shot to the face by Paige. David rolls him back up, though. He only gets a two. Two. And a DDT by David. Into the cover, but only a one. One. <laughs> now David Flair arguing the fact if it was a three or not what a one count he's mental it is hard to uh, determine whether a one is close to a three no he's delusional he's seen this the page up backs Flair into a corner uh, not the talented one a couple of right hands I was in the cross but David had went for the cover on Page, but he got the shoulder off at two two just when it looks like DDP's going to get back in the match David Flair cuts him off catches the boot of DDP spins him round he hits a clothesline Charles Robinson's counting them both now. <coughs> Flair up to his feet first. And he's got eyes on the crowbar. Oh, big low blow there by David Flair on Page. Put Page down and after the slam, didn't want to go up and get it. Looking for his dad's figure four leg lock. And David's tapping. And will DDP be counting down or tap out? Oh, Page's shoulders are on the mat. He's trying to turn it over now, though. Reverse the pressure. Oh, David breaks it. David Flair going up to the top and getting the crowbar. He's got it. He's going to Page use it. Ducks it though. Catches uh, Flair with a DD, uh, the diamond cutter into the cover. Two, three. And Page wins without the use of the uh, crowbar on the pole. Well, I tell you something, the uh, diamond cutter is dangerous enough. Didn't need the crowbar. Put him down. A bit of retribution, but I don't think he's finished yet. Well, he hoists Flair, sits him on the corner. He's going to give him the second rope diamond cutter just to kind of humiliate Flair further. <laughs> Takes him off and drops him down. And now he's got the crowbar. He's going to go down low. Oh, no, but here comes um, Daphne or, you know, at the moment a woman we don't know to cover David's body. <laughs> She's protecting his crutch from the crowbar shot. And DDP's done a lot of things, but he won't do that. Oh, no. And a... Oh, he was going to get Charles Robinson in the diamond cutter, but Robinson said, let you do that, you will regret it. Well, he saw two diamond cutters there, though, and David Flair dropped down. Dan, what are your thoughts on that match? Awful. I mean, the, there was absolutely no fucking point to the crowbar on a pole. Um, just absolutely fucking, really. Was it worse than a Jeff Jarrett match? Slightly, no. Uh it was it was worse. Sorry. Yeah, it was a lot worse. Well, let's hope the action picks up, though, because uh, let's say a stack car for Starcade. Well, it looks like the action is going to improve because it's Lex Luger versus Sting next. And this has all been about Lex Luger mistreating Miss Elizabeth. And I watched a documentary called Dark Side of the Ring the other day 
which uh, there have been a series of like eight of them, about kind of controversial things in wrestling. One of them was about the macho man and Liz. And basically it was said, and we, we heard the phone call from Lex Luger that of when Miss Elizabeth died, basically found her collapsed. And the, the kind of overly operative was saying, can you go check the body? He was like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to. I was just, you know, uh, we were just taking loads of pills and apparently kind of that's what happened towards the end of her career during this time. Uh, Macho and her kind of were amicable and Luke was kind of pushing her into doing maybe stuff that she didn't want. And, you know, and it's kind of weird now looking back on it in this time. You know, there's lots of other wrestlers and things that we don't kind of, we find offensive. And this is one of the things that slid under due to what happened to Lex Luke as well. He's up from stroke and uh, he obviously doesn't look like we did back in the day. But it's still one of these things that needs to be mentioned, you know, and I think it brought to light that. It is indeed, yeah. It's, um, you know, it's something that happened, but it was, it wasn't uncommon in this day and age, though. You know, it was something that was happening probably more than people realise. Well, yeah. Which, you know, it is a complete dying dying shame, isn't it? When you think of people, you talk about Dustin Rhodes earlier as well, you know, the kind of state that he was in. And the other people, Scott Hall, of course, still being employed by the company, even though he's been, you know, personal demons and stuff like this. Just seems at the time anything goes. And, and we're not saying WF didn't do it, but it was more prominent. When you look at people who on top at this moment in time, you know, what, what happened to Lex Luger, what happened to Macho Man Randy Savage? DDP, you know, DDP Yoga is probably the only happy story. <laughs> Goldberg's come back now, you know. Yeah, so. um, it is It is a weird one. It's uh, It's like... Well, you can't do drugs and you can't mistreat people, but if you do, you won't get fired anyway. So, we're not saying you can, but don't. <laughs> and and the, for the problem with WWE as well is that at this time, you know, these guys, because they know they're not going to be moved from this spot. You look at what Lex Luger has done. He's been in that constant position, isn't he? No one is getting up there and challenging. That's why people are getting annoyed. And, and it's all just kind of probably going off backstage with all these guys can just do what they want. It must be so frustrating, you know, you talk about people like Malenko and Saturn and Guerrero and people like that. Well, Luger and Sting have been wrestling for, what, 10 years now at this point? Absolutely, yeah. And uh, Sting's coming out with a, a bat in hand with Miss Elizabeth, who's wearing Sting colours. I mean, think about how mistreated Sting has been. Two years ago, he was the hottest thing in wrestling when he was going to fight Hogan. It's all gone to shit. And now he's giving Liz some mace. I'm sure that will help later on. Gave her her own mace. But it's think Sting, you know, was, was such a mythical character. And then the, the fuck around with Hogan, not being crowned proper champion. And since then, we've seen Wolfpack Sting, and now he's back to normal Sting. And it's the same thing with Lex Luger. That storyline's been going on for how long? <laughs> Too long. <coughs> well, Sting's coming in the ring, but gets carved by Luger. And this match has started. Well, these two guys, they was uh, very close for a long, long time. So Lex Luger, in this kind of peak condition, could he have been WCW's Brock Lesnar? And I'm starting to think that TNA did more than Sting than WCW did. I know we had the Crow Sting start in the WCW, but you look at what he achieved in TNA and the kind of matches he had compared to his Chief WCW. I know you like the uh, the no, Wolfpack Sting, but it's it's just I'm going to agree with you. I think you know um, with the Wolfpack Sting and the NWO like kind of feuding and that, it was all done really wrong. Um, but TNA's treatment of Sting, yeah, they treat him like a god and if WWE had have had that sting the you know the things that could have they could have done for him would have been endless well Doug you look at the bound for glory moments that he had and now you know we're going to a starcade he's having to fight against Luger 
And it's just, you know, it's just not good. It's not exciting. It's nothing fresh. It's no wonder WWE in tremendous trouble. When after this did he join TNA? I think he joined TNA about 2002, 2003. It was when his contract was up at Time Warner. But Sting is a guy who's, well, Lex Luger's guy. It's not really worth the spot. If we look at people who have been treated in WWE these past couple of years, it's no surprise, really, that most have gone off. And anyway, it's become successful. It's due to the fact of somewhere else. There's Lex Luger now just in control of Sting. I'm going to go at Liz. Try to send Sting into the uh, ring post, but couldn't. Liz on the eighth, and Luger's looking to suplex Sting. <laughs> Sting right back up again, and Liz with a slap to Luger. <clears throat> now Luger's uh, being ping-ponged between Miss Elizabeth and Sting. Sting with a drop kick, and the Irish whip double close like both men down low. And Liz now getting the um, the mace she got given earlier, getting in the ring. Checking on Luger. And maybe Sting found out that Liz actually was friends with oh, Luger. With silly string. And Sting now telling Liz... He knew she was going to do that. Luger's up, but down again with a back elbow. And then sends her to the back. Sting's recovered only to be met with an elbow from... Uh, Luger's recovered only to be met with an elbow from Sting. Irish whip by Sting. He's heating up now. Clothesline. Inverted atomic drop. Takes down Luger. Sting's going up top. Oh! Looking for the Sting's... He comes down. A huge splash. But Luger managing to kick out. Uh-huh. Sting hits the bulldog. Irish whips Luger across, going for the Stinger splash. He hits it, he's going to go again. Yes, he does. Now Sting calling for it. The Scorpion death drop, but here comes Liz. With a baseball bat. Did she not think Sting could see her? And then still crept up on him anyway? She should have waited until he actually put the move in. Yes. <clears throat> Liz throws the bat down, there you go. She's going to do what she said. Oh, Jesus. Well, Liz picks the bat up as Sting puts the Scorpion Deathlock on Luger and basically smashes him in the jaw. Yes, but that causes DQ for Lex Luger, so that means Sting has won control of a contract. Yeah, I guess so. Now he's got the hand in the chair. The old handy chair. The old cherry handy. Luger's throwing a ref out. Liz is struggling to stay in that top. And Luger, with the chair around the hand, stomps down it. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five. And we're not supposed to know that that is a foam bat, by the way. I mean, maybe once or twice, but, like, hitting it like that, it's just, it's just awful, isn't it? Absolutely. It is absolutely awful, terrible. I mean, what was the point of that baseball bat shot? Did it even touch it? And now referee's training his aims, he's down, and this doesn't look good. For st- I mean, Sting shouldn't... That's yeah, just Sting, Sting. Sting. Sting has just had his arm trapped in a chair and beaten and beaten with a baseball bat, yet they're using his arm to turn him over. It's just, you know, they shouldn't treat Sting like this. Why, why especially someone like Luger, you know? It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, Sting's arm is in a really bad way, yet they're using it to lift him to his feet. Are they not even getting a stretcher out there? Maybe he doesn't need one. But imagine if it was... Oh, no, they're, they're making this human stretcher. Um... Imagine if a young guy had taken Sting out of that and made a statement, but no, it's not allowed. And what did you think of the match, Dan? Terrible. Terrible, <laughs> awful. Shit. But just, and they're carrying Sting out. Question is, though... Can it, WCW afford a stretcher? No, they can't. Question is, is it better or worse than the last match? Um, It's a close one. It is. It, I, I, it, I think... Only because in the last match, the right man won, that this match is worse. Well, I don't know, Sting, 
by DQ. No, that's worse. That's worse because of treatment of Sting. But it's treatment of Sting even. But it's going to get much better now because what a match we have. It is the uh, Powerbomb match. Whose is the better one? It's Kevin Nash versus Sid. We know how quick Sid matches goes. But now we're better in that. It should actually be better. <laughs> Sid is the ruler of the world. So... This match to determine who's the better powerbomb is. Yeah, dream match. Are they going to be powerbomb each other, or is it just going to be a match, and then the powerbomb is obviously going to be the finish? I think that will be the case. Kevin Nash a year ago defeating Goldberg. This year against Sid Vicious, another guy who didn't need the airtime, really. So, there is actually no kind of theme or stipulation to this match. No, it's just... Master of the Powerbomb. So it is very similar to the crowbar on a pole match where, despite there being a crowbar on a pole match or a title of uh, World's Best Powerbomb, it actually means nothing. But that's WCW. Ah, That's why it gets... It's just awful. It just... I I never... You know, people complain about Ring of Honor or Impact nowadays. It's... This WCW at this time just kept fucking it up. Every opportunity they had, they fucked it up. And that takes a special type of talent. This is like, people were upset about WWE <laughs> going under, but there's something special about managing to fuck it up for, for two, you know, three fucking years. Well, it's not that. It's managing to fuck up a p- promotion enough for them to say, no, we're not, we're not yeah, doing it no more. They kill it. They kill it. People like Kevin Nash. People who's come out Kevin Nash, tag team champion, with Scott Hall is not here. So Scott Hall, despite having to relinquish his US championship, doesn't have to relinquish his tag no, team. Why would he? Why would he? Because it would make sense in that way. Kevin Nash cocky. He's not giving anybody a chance. He's an awful worker. I know Nash can go in certain places, but... With the right opponent. Yeah. And certainly, Sid's not the right opponent. No. I think I've only ever seen I don't one good think Sid match. Pete Dunne could ever get a good match out of Sid. I think I think it would be difficult. No, I mean, he had one all right match with Shawn Michaels, but Shawn Michaels was at his best throwing himself around then. You know what, like Shawn did with Hogan. And Nash using a WWE uh, taunt. And now the big men, Colo and Elba, tie up. The immovable object versus the unstoppable force. And Nash now with the forearms. And he's uh, giving himself, he calls his head booker at the moment, championship opportunities, and now he's a face again. After, of course, being Hill and then being a face during the summer. Because he was feuding with Sid and then he teamed up with Macho Man and then feuded against him. And it is slow. I mean, Nash doing his usual in the corner beat down, lining him up and uh, hitting a few elbows. Well, we are Irish whip Sid. Hit a clothesline. Sid went down. And now Nash back up. Irish whip, but Sid managing to dodge it. He's going to go for the powerbomb. And I think Nash went low. Sid goes outside. Nash going after Sid. Sid's busted open. Now Nash going to go powerbomb Sid. Is this going to be the best powerbomb in the world? No. Sid with the worst boot to the midsection. Sid's got a deep laceration and the blood is just spilling out of his back. Well, referee might have to stop this due to the blood loss. I mean, I'm surprised Sid could actually stand with the amount of blood loss. Nash gets into the barricade. And Sid is in full, slow control. And this is him going top speed. I mean, WWE thought this was going to be it. And they're going to make it. I tell you, we've got an idea. And it's going to be Sid and Nash. Money. Sid now with a chair to Nash. 
Martin to the back. I'm sitting now shouting at the crowd. I'm Sid throwing Nash back in. And I was gonna Irish rip him again. Goes for the close, I knocks him down. I don't think he's finished there. And a leg drop. <laughs> and Sid now celebrating and, and don't worry if if you think um, we're not you know saying much or Dan's not, it's just only because he's disgusted the action. We are <laughs> still really, here calling it, don't worry. There is not really much to say though. Sid <laughs> swings and then stands in the ring. With his hand held high. I mean, who thought Sid Vicious was going to be a star? I mean, well, it, it's just size, wasn't it? Yeah, that is it. You know, he has got the build of a wrestler, and that is where Sid and the wrestler's similarity end. He has zero mic skill, zero in-ring, zero likability, or in a heel case, hateability. But people hate him. But not because he's a hill, because he's absolutely fucking useless. Yeah, he is the drizzling shits. And Kevin Nash is not far off. No, and just to think, Sid has been a WWE champion. And WCW, and so is Kevin Nash. And Nash sent into the referee, so he can't see Sid picking him up. Oh my God. Was that a gut wrench powerbomb? Well, he couldn't pick Nash up. It didn't look like they got it properly. So technically, Sid should have won this match. But wait a minute, here comes... Jeff Jarrett has J-double-F-J-A-double-R-E-double-T with a guitar, hits Sid over the head with it. And he's getting rid of the evidence that the referee can't see. So, just to recap everybody, Sid hit powerbomb, ref didn't see. Jeff, Jeff Jarrett came down with guitar. More Jeff Jarrett and Nash buddies. So, in this circumstance, is Sid the face? Yes. Now, right now, Sid is face. Right. Even though Nash will always play face, even though he is heel. Okay. Because Nash does what he wants, and now it looks like it means business, because the straps are coming down. That is it now, business. Oh, no. No. Not quite, James. The back has given out. And what integral body part is used for the powerbomb? All in the back. All in the back. That's how powerful Sid's powerbomb is. Nash's best chance might be to put the straps back up and then back down again. Yeah. Oh, you've got to reload the straps. No, no. See, this is why Hogan wears a a, a lifting belt, James. This exact reason. Well, we know he's had lower back problems in the past. Carrying WCW. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's got the referee up. Can you help me? Well, there you go. Nash says to the referee, hey, a powerbombed him. Referee says, all right, you win the match. But Nash didn't hit a powerbomb, but does win. Right. Okay, so the man who didn't hit the powerbomb. But the referee the referee didn't see it, so that's why he didn't give Sid the match. But the referee didn't see Kevin Nash's powerbomb. Yes, but that's why he gave Nash the match. I believe oh, Sid or Nash. Obviously. Yeah, of course. Why would Big Sexy lie? I mean, he is the heel in this match. Mm-hmm. So you've got to believe the heel. All right, quick question then. Easy enough. First off, what do you think of the match? Awful, terrible. Awful, terrible, yeah. shit. Was it better or worse than the last match? What, the DDP David Flair match? No, the Sting versus oh, Luger. Sting Luger match. <laughs> I'm going to have to say worse on the basis that at least Sting was moving about in his match. I mean, none of these two, Nash or moved about. And if you're watching a match, if you're watching an Inferno match and a match ends by someone not set themselves on fire, then you say to yourself, hang on a minute, why is this match finished? So. Yeah. Feels the same way with a Powerbomb match. Indeed, yeah. So can WCW continue their fantastic record of lowering themselves in every match with the United States Championship? Or have they got a surprise for us tonight? Chris Benoit's opponent, who would it be? You talked about earlier Pete Dunne having a match with Sid. Benoit having a match 
right now in this time, you know, tw- uh, 1999, surely you can't have a bad match. Don't call me Shirley, but if I know WCW, they'll have a little trick up there. Let's not forget, this is a ladder match. Now, you tell me this wouldn't be a fucking amazing dream match. Chris Benoit now are in a couple of years. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. these two styles are very fucking... No, Pen- I-, I was going to say, people forget about Benoit, but I think it's tr- I think it's right. But he was an <laughs> incredible worker, and that's the... Yeah, I mean, you know, as, as H-anus as the things he done, you know, prior to his death, I still don't think it can take away from his career. Obviously, you know, it's... It's not something that they should shout about, you know. He's mm. never going to be in the Hall of Fame, etc., etc. But, <clears throat> you know, Chris Benoit was an amazing, brilliant worker. Look, yeah, better than Jericho, level with Eddie, not better than Angle. I think that would be fair to say about Benoit, but let's not forget the kind of talent that he had. I mean, you could argue that all day long as well. And look who the mystery opponent... We've only seen him twice tonight. I know, James, <clears throat> and it is Jeff Jarrett. That is J-E-double-F. J A double R E double T. Oh, cut his music, slap nuts. <laughs> well, well, double J tries for the use it another time, but here comes Benoit, and the match is official. And the match is underway. I mean, uh, you know, who deserves it more than Jarrett in WCW? There was no one else backstage, only another 150 wrestlers, so who the hell could they have picked? Oh, I know, and I mean, you know, he went from mid card titles in WWF to. Mid-card titles in WCW? Yeah, not for long, though. His mate Russo would uh, chuck him up the car, so to speak. And, I mean, like I said, who's more worthwhile than uh, Jeff Jack? Not like Benoit, someone who's been slogging it for the past five years or so. And Chris Benoit now. This Lisa's match, like we say, should be all right. As Benoit hits a backbreaker, kick to the face, and now a chop to the chest. And Benoit now picking him up. Superplex right off the top. And let's not forget Jeff Jack has had a match earlier. This might be easy pickings for Benoit. Not that Benoit needs easy pickings. <laughs> Has he got rid of his mallet? He's got serious. Came ever so close to uh, beating Bret Hart last month at Mayhem. <clears throat> well, Jeff Jarrett takes Benoit off the apron and then baseball slides the ladder into him. I mean, why didn't they put the title belt on a pole? It doesn't make any sense, does it? No. Why have a ladder match and use a ladder? Well, we don't know why. Well, but we do know one thing for sure, and that's why they went in the shitter. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just the crowd has not been... They popped for the diamond cutter, and they're excited for Sting's entrance. Cheered for Benoit. Oh, not a lot else. But then I think they're the only three things worthy in this whole pay-per-view of cheering for. Yeah. Well, this is quite cheery as Jeff Jack gets sent to the ladder twice. And Benoit is busted open. He's certainly got some external bleeding. Well, you can see that's quite a bad shot, but that won't stop Benoit. He likes the taste of blood. But Jarrett stops him as he's uh, only two rungs up the ladder. At least three. Just Jack's got him. Backdrop. No. Oh, no. Hangs him out to dry on the top rope. So Jeff Jarrett decides to not set up the ladder when Chris Benoit's down. Nope. Rather use it as a weapon. Ah, so there's no other weapons in WCW then. You only get one weapon of choice. Uh, one weapon per side match, I guess. Ah, okay. And they've said um, we've seen Jeff Jarrett using the guitar twice. Will he use it a third time? But he's not brought one out with him. Mm. So I think we will. <laughs> I don't know. Well, um, who knows? All we know is Benoit got sent face first into a lad and that probably contributed to everything. <laughs> That's all we know. Calls it how I sees it. 
the way this pay-per-view is going, David Flair's going to come out, climb the ladder and get the title. At this moment in time, David Flair's had like the fucking fourth best match of the card. So <laughs> <laughs> he's doing well tonight. The second best match. I mean, you look at this roster and you could have some amazing matches. You could. And now Benoit's caught in that ladder. What is Jarrett doing? Oh, my God. Oh, that was different. That was good. Benoit come crashing back the ladder caught there. Twixt between. And again, I think another great moment in this pay-per-view is that Benoit could have been handed the title because Scott Hall had to forfeit. Yeah, he said, no, I want a match for it. That's not what he's about. That is, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's kind of what John Cena emanated later on when he was a uh, US champ. You know, he yeah. have an open challenge constantly. Let's hope the same thing doesn't happen to him. And now Jeff Jarrett now climbing the ladder. John Cena doesn't want kids. Yeah, <laughs> That's why Nicky better split. On his shoulders, got Jarrett, Jarrett drops down. Now he's got Jang him up in the tree of wow on a ladder. And Jarrett's got nowhere to go. And Benoit's going to climb the other side. And Jarrett trying to knock ladder down as Benoit's up. And he manages to do it successfully. I think Benoit headbutted the bottom rope on his way down. I don't think WCW have learned the WWF lesson more than one ladder, a ladder match. Maybe they can't afford, they can't afford a stretcher, can they? So <laughs> All their stretcher budget went on a ladder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And two <laughs> guitars. Yes, and uh, a pole that didn't get used. And the gold spray paint and the tin of silly string. I mean, cheap, cheap bits of wood they use in that They've gone all out. Yeah, they couldn't even afford a two by four. <laughs> yeah. like they could afford one. Yeah. They're like, well, we're going to have a couple of spots with this. So we cut it down into thin strips. And that was the right work for him. As Benoit now takes Jarrett off. Bloody beaten. He's going up to get the title. But Jarrett has recovered. Bouncing the ropes. And he's going to tip Benoit. Oh, he hangs himself out to dry on the top rope. That is not a clean ladder on top. That has been used before. But Jarrett, not to be beaten, is going up again. Benoit barely able his feet, but gets up enough. Oh, hangs Jarrett over the top rope. It looked like Jarrett was trying to put his foot on the top rope and push himself back, maybe. Well, Jarrett tried but failed. And Benoit now setting the ladder up. And it's not been a bad match. It hasn't, no. The um, the pushing off ladder sprint, though. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen as Benoit's going up to reach the belt. Jarrett on the top turnbuckle. Benoit's fingertips away. He's got hands on the belt. Oh, oh. <laughs> fucking hell. That was like a tablecloth trick. <laughs> Jarrett just drop kicked the ladder. Benoit just fell straight down. <laughs> that was good, actually. I like that bit. I think the crowd appreciated it as well. Jarrett trying to set the ladder up. Benoit trying to get himself up. And Jeff Jarrett now. The ladder set up. He's obviously got an idea or a plan. Well, Benoit rolling underneath the ladder. Coming up the other side and drop kicking it into Jarrett's face. Jarrett's laying prone. Benoit's climbing the ladder. And Benoit now can get the United States title if he wants. He's going onto the top rung of the ladder. He's got hold of it. But he slits his, he slices his throat. He has other things in mind. Oh! Oh my God. Contribute. We wonder why. <laughs> now Benoit bouncing and bloody and beaten. Well, after dropping the headbutt off the top of a ladder, he manages to climb it again. He looks down at Jarrett and he's like, nah, fuck that, I'm not going to drop it again. <laughs> Jumps down and Benoit, despite being having it handed to him, he decided he wanted to win it for an open challenge. Jarrett answered the challenge because we hadn't seen him enough tonight. Um, comes up. Quite short, 
contributed to the match. It was the best match of the night so far, wasn't it? Absolutely, without a doubt. Not that that is a hard thing to do, but it was a very enjoyable match, yeah. Yeah, and he may be, uh, might be blood and sweat, but at least he's got the gold now. You're the United States champion, Chris Benoit. <laughs> <laughs> and I shot a replay of my favourite spot. If you haven't seen it, Jeff Jarrett drop-kicking the ladder from underneath Chris Benoit. Absolute must. And Benoit with a diving headbutt on Jarrett as well. So main event time, it's Bret Hart versus Goldberg for the WWE Championship. And yeah, we've not been in WWE for since September, I think, for uh, Full Brawl. And since then, in October, WWE title was uh, relinquished and put off a tournament at Mayhem, which Bret Hart went on to beat Chris Benoit in the final since then, Goldberg and Bret Hart teamed up to become tag team champions. They've been feuding with the Outsiders instead of focusing on their feud with each other at Starcade. Yes. Uh, Bret Hart got hurt backstage, presumably by the Outsiders. So uh, the belts had to be handed to the Outsiders. Goldberg was the one that brought the belts to the ring and just demolished both Hall and Nash. Bret Hart limped his way to the ring to try and assist and save his... Uh, tag titles but Nash in the meantime went low on Brett had his feet on the ropes and pinned Hart so the outsiders became tag team champions and now Goldberg and Brett can focus on themselves a little bit more but after being in WWE for two years Brett finally gets WWE World Heavyweight Championship and again a character that's not been used right at all but we are going to go to see against someone like Goldberg who needs to be vindicated of course for what happened to him last year when he lost, and they're not really built on that yet, have they? They've not really said much about it. No, they haven't. They're, they're not really on the trigger at WCW. The story should be Goldberg's redemption to getting another title opportunity. Opportunity. And going against the best of his, the best of was, and the best of ever will be. You know, Bret Hart wants to be number, he's number one. Goldberg wants to be number one. It's a very easy story. Instead, it's getting convoluted with all this outsider's mess. But we do get Michael Buffer. Of course. The final pay-per-view of the decade. Of the Millennium, who will lead WCW into the new Millennium. But I think this is a match that people can get excited with. You know, we've seen Bret Hart versus Stone Cold and see Bret Hart versus Goldberg for the first time proper. I think it's quite exciting. I think as a kid, you would have been excited to see this as well, wouldn't you? you know? Absolutely, yeah. You know, it is uh, it is a dream match. You know, you've got kind of the up-and-coming superstar in Goldberg and the already established as... One of the best technical wrestlers of his time, Bret Hart. You've got Goldberg reputation being WCW and, of course, Bret Hart affiliation with the WWF and coming over. So you've got that story told as well. Be interested to see if Bret Hart can get a good match from Goldberg as he comes out as champion. With Hogan not here, maybe it's Bret's chance to take over a little bit. But what do you think of Goldberg's treatment then since we've been watching him? We've watched him ever since his debut in WCW. How do you think it's gone for him? What were you maybe done a little bit different? Um, I would probably would have uh, pulled the trigger on a Goldberg redemption story a lot sooner. Uh, I know you obviously don't want to push someone who's so hot so hard and fast, but at the end of the day, you know, you've got to kind of utilise him and, you know, you could have done a lot more better with him. But I think they did the debut quite well, though, didn't they? Absolutely, yeah. You know, his initial start of Goldberg was absolutely perfect. You know, you had the... Uh, undefeated streak and then you had his kind of winning the title and that's kind of when it all fell away for Goldberg you know he had the title for a little while and then it kind of yeah well rather than Goldberg being the kind of number one guy in the company and having a title match it was him against Kurt Henning where Hogan was still in the main event 
people fighting people like with Dennis Rodman or, or Jay Leno, and that kind of took away from Goldberg. And even when he lost at Starcade last year, like I said, not bouncing back from that. And Goldberg uh, probably got the wrong, you know, people in his ear as well about what he should do. And I think this is something that we should have looked at and gone, right, Goldberg's going to be our guy. Let's use him as best we can, as opposed to kind of what they have done. Because like you said at the start, it worked perfectly, didn't it? And with Bret Hart, they've dropped the ball and maybe they can build. What would you have done with Bret Hart? As soon as the screw job would have done, how would you have used Bret Hart in WCW? Um, I would have kind of put him into the Hulk Hogan slot. Or, you know, I would have had more feature on Bret Hart because, you know, someone of Bret Hart's kind of age and stature as well, you're not going to have years left. You know, you're not going to have many more of him at the top of his peak. So I would have used him, you know, as... I would have used him a lot more than I would have used Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I think it would have been brilliant if, you know, at Starcade 97, because we're looking at the, the previous Starcade events as well. At Starcade 97, if Sting would have beat Hogan decisively, suddenly you've got Bret Hart showing up and saying, like, well, you're, you're the champion here, but I, I never lost my championship, you know, and they can build towards the next feud between those two and actually have some good feuds and then have Bret Hart facing young up and coming. You've got Goldberg there, who's got a date in mind and can say from this year on, I could have gone on and, you know, win my title back, leading to this. You know, just imagine, yeah. as we see Goldberg coming out here with security. But the security, James, it's not for Goldberg. Isn't no, it? no, he doesn't need security. It's for everyone else in the arena. Well, Goldberg looks in means business. He wants his title back. It's been a long year for him. Because only in the year we saw a brilliant little thing between the two of them when Goldberg went to spear Brett and he had the hockey jersey on and he had the uh, plate underneath. But yet, since then, they've come together and won the tag team titles together (laughs) and now they're going against each other again yeah it's wcw isn't it you know the co-main event wasn't too bad though so we lead to this match well this should be good you know i think brett has the ability to carry goldberg for a bit of a longer match but inevitably if we was doing predictions on this i would be goldberg all the way i think i would have to go goldberg as well in this one but it's weird when you look at like previous Starcade events as well, and you think like you know, since ninety six, I think Hogan Macho was or Hogan Piper was nineteen ninety six, ninety seven Hogan and Sting, and then of course Goldberg and Nash. Next year's one is, I mean, we think this is bad this year. Starcade two thousand, if we ever get round to it, but these two men in the ring, and it's quite an interesting sight because you don't see Goldberg and Brett; they are kind of different characters completely. But they've both got a similar kind of, you know, Brett with his really high ring IQ. Yeah. You know, he is one of the most intelligent wrestlers in Goldberg. He is brute strength. He is brute power. It's the intensity that Goldberg brings as well, which is kind of brilliant. And of course, Bret Hart with the intelligence. But I think Bret Hart, he's got a bit of a cocky heel swagger. And that's not the way you should have Bret Hart. I think no. you should have him as a face. <clears throat> Bret as a face and as a champion can, can be fantastic. And we've seen that before. And see if Goldberg can match up to Bret in this one. You give the power and strength to Goldberg. But, you know, you'd have the the way to counter fight with Brett. You'd have, you know, the uh, the escapology from Brett as well. Speed and... would be a different one, wouldn't it? You know, I wouldn't <laughs> be sure. Like Goldberg's got a little bit of speed about him, but of course, Brett Hart as well. But the veteran instincts will kick in, of course. <coughs> He's just a sexy boy. But Goldberg there with the power just shoving Brett Hart away. It's an easy uh, win on the test of strength between these two. I think Brett's got to reassess his uh, tactics and 
kind of uh, think outside the box. I think with Brett, he's got to try and lure Goldberg in to make a mistake, you know, try and hurt himself in that manner. Because, like you said, the intense, it's like trying to ride a ball at this moment in time. It's going to be really difficult for Brett to try and get the guy down. But do you want to frustrate Goldberg? Do you want to piss him off? Well, this is, a, this is the problem, because if you piss him off, we see what happens. He finally eventually catches up to you. So Brett can do that, but yet stay outside or stay in, 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 in places that he won't get hurt. But with Goldberg, it, that's what's so difficult. Take your eye off the ball for one second for him, spear, and then you know what comes after. And that's, that's, what, makes, <laughs> that's what makes Goldberg the, kind of, the, the, the rest of to watch. You know, you talk about kind of MMA style, whatever it is. So, I think Goldberg is probably one of the most intense wrestlers ever. Yeah. I think without a doubt, and I think we've seen it, but I think he works better sometimes from the bottom. I think sometimes when he just needs those two Would you moves. not say Goldberg's a top? I, I'd say maybe sometimes, and at the moment he's on top of this match as he picks up Brett with my favourite variation of the Gorilla Press Slam. I love that into the Press Slam, and that's exactly what Goldberg can do. Has he got Brett in the sights for a spear, or does he not think that's going to be enough to take the WCW Heavyweight Champion down? Well, the thing is, Goldberg shouldn't take Brett Hart too lightly. <laughs> That's the thing, compared to Bret Hart, Goldberg is as dumb as a box of spanners. Without a doubt. As Goldberg, we're going to close on. We're going to watch out for a kick as well at Goldberg. He's going to use in this match. Quite a, fa- <laughs> fa- quite a famous kick. We'll get on to that after the match as well. But we'll take a look at But, you know, like I said, Goldberg is still um, still new to the business at this point. A lovely takedown into a leg bar, though. Maybe he's trying to surprise Bret Hart a little bit, trying to show that he can uh, wrestle with him. But Bret Hart's managing to transition it. Oh no, trying to get to the sharpshooter, but Goldberg just too powerful for that. And Brett's very intelligent, grabbing that bottom rope and making sure Goldberg can't attack him. And now Brett going outside for a, a bit of a timeout, having a breather. Goldberg's not going to allow him to have that breather though, he's going to chase him outside. But the referees has gone outside with them to make sure they can't get counted out. It's horrible to happen in the main event. Yeah. WCW's WrestleMania. If you could have WrestleMania as any month, which month would you have it as? Would you have it like, you know, it kind of, like the WCW, they use it to close out the year? Or would you have it as I, it is? I would have it middle of the year. If, so, I, if I had my event that I had to pick, I would put it middle. So you'd take SummerSlam and have it as Winter Slam? No, I'd have it like June, July, halfway. I'd have it somewhere like that. So the end of June, that would be my big event for the year. Because like, you've got Christmas, there's six months to build towards it, and then, you know, you have a big event in January as well, can't so you? So would you have Royal Rumble a month and a half before that then, or two months? Before yeah, I'd have Rumble before that. Yeah, but I'm not talking about WWE, I'm talking about the you know, if I was doing AEW. WWE works perfectly now, doesn't it? That April feeling, <laughs> the April feeling to January, I think works yeah. quite well. So do you think AEW will inevitably do their, they'll have the big main pay-per-view, or do you think? I hope they have a big pay-per-view, but at this moment in time, they're trying to make everything equal, aren't they? So... Depends what happens. It might be just all in. Is there kind of the big shows? It. Was. I wouldn't be surprised if Cody did if he did go something like that. Would maybe put it in December just because of what Starcade did. You know, it was in November originally. It wasn't easy. It was a Thanksgiving show until Vincent Mann threatened the networks. So he put the pay per view on. He won't carry WrestleMania. So they switched it to December. But these are things that kind of get forgotten about over the, the years and back in the day. <coughs> As for the match, it's Goldberg at the moment. It's been in control. Oh, my God. A he- headlock, cross, hiplock, takedown. And it takes Charles Robinson down as well. Well, Brett gets sent into Charles, and he's not in charge anymore. Brett's looking for the spear. No. Brett moves out of the way. Goldberg hits the ring post, and he's down and out. Brett moving the steel steps. 
We've got another referee in the ring already. Well, that was quick. And now Brett with a figure four around the ring post. Look at that. Look at that. I love that visual. Brett Hart with a figure four on. Must be just grating against the pole. <laughs> Goldberg's leg may be broken. Bill Goldberg's strewn and he's in a lot of trouble now as he falls to the outside. And both men in serious trouble now. But I would think the fans and does here like they're favouring Goldberg. Which wouldn't be a huge surprise, I suppose. The only way Brett would get the fan majority of if they was in Canada, eh? I don't know. If he was in WWF, I think Brett might uh, be able to equal Goldberg in that way. And Brett now, heavily attack a gun on your legs. Oh, just placing it on the bottom rope and dropping his weight onto the knee. Same leg that was uh, against the ring post. Setting up Big Bill for the sharpshooter. Yeah, be. And now Goldberg's been set up against the ropes and it's a good attack by Brett. And it's what we said. Yeah, I mean, Goldberg's not used to having uh, matches going longer than five minutes. And it's the mistake that led to it, Brett. Kind of maybe luring Goldberg in, hitting his head on the ring post, and then straight away, attack. Was Brett playing possum? <coughs> Was Brett playing possum? Was Brett playing possum? I heard you first time. Hello, possums! Now Brett's got the figure four locked in. Now Brett's got Goldberg. Goldberg's in trouble. He's not the only one. You know, Brett trying to stretch Goldberg. Have you ever seen Goldberg tap out, though, James? Never. Never, ever. ever. But Brett has got it in. Goldberg in serious trouble. Goldberg managing to turn it over, though, reversing the pressure. And that shows two things there. The power of Goldberg to t and the intelligence of Brett to get straight to that bottom rope. Indeed, yes. You know, Brett had him in a position where uh, Goldberg was furthest away from any rope. Yeah, if it was turned round, Brett, because he knows the power of Goldberg. Well, that's the intelligence now as well, picking Goldberg up. Bad leg. Well, Brett trying to take Goldberg down, but Goldberg just landed a straight right to the temple of Brett. And that's a one-legged man, and that's right, in an ass-kicking contest, knocking the other man down. But Brett now just straight back on it, making no mistakes. Brett obviously feeling he didn't uh, soften up the knee of Goldberg enough. Goldberg's got Brett in a sleeper, or chin lock. And Brett twisting a leg, and Goldberg trying to fight out of it. Goldberg just grabbing Brett by the throat, though, chucking him into the corner. Working his own lefts and rights while still trying to stand on that injured leg. Now, when the refs tried stopping Goldberg, he turned around to berate the ref. And Brett just goes low, inadvertently takes out another referee. As he was pulling back to strike Goldberg, <laughs> he accidentally elbowed him in the head. Can we stop losing referees, please? There we go. There's a kick from Goldberg. Nearly took Brett's head off. And that's it. That's the kick. And Brett's getting up. Spear by Goldberg. Well, spear by Goldberg down, and what happens after the spear? Is Goldberg destined to become World Heavyweight Champion? No referee, but it doesn't think it matters. Oh. Oh, oh my God. Oh, Look we've got it a rowdy, roddy referee. Making his return to WWE. haven't seen Piper in months. He's here to chew some gum and count some pinfalls, and he's all out of gum. And what side would he choose? I mean, he's had his problems with Brett in the past. Brett with a chop block now. Got him in a sharpshooter, and Piper calls for the bell. What? What's this? The bell's got the title, and has Bill Goldberg been screwed? Well, Piper's not given the belt to anyone. He just came in, called for the bell, and walked out, title in hand. Brett's following him. Has Brett been screwed by yet another company? Well, it looks that way. Oh, no, Brett is a champion. How? What? Why? Who? When? Well, Brett is shocked. Goldberg can't believe it. The crowd can't believe it. Brett is your new heavyweight champion. No, still. Still, sorry. You're right about that, Dan. Thanks for correcting me that time. And, uh, of course, 
A la Survivor Series 97. A la Survivor Series 97. <laughs> it ends there. So the biggest event of the year, the main event of their WrestleMania ends. What are your thoughts on the match? The match was good. Yeah. The ending was absolute fucking dog shit. I mean, I wouldn't even want to watch the next fucking Nitro to find out what happens. It was just incredible they would do that. Really, and think that is the way that would get Vince Russo thinking that's the people that's going to get people interested. Rehashing something that's happened two years previously when they needed something to kind of imagine a Goldberg victory and then kind of projecting forward to that or Brett beating Goldberg and the fans getting behind him. But instead, they deliver that, and it's no wonder they went out of business. I would say the match of the night would be Benoit Jeff Jarrett. Absolutely, yeah, I'll, I'll wholeheartedly agree with that by fucking head and shoulders as well. And I think everything else just disappoints you, and that's why probably we're not going to be watching a lot of WWE in 2000, just because it's so bad, and not just not in a kind of like we're doing next week with the most ridiculous. It's not like ridiculously bad; it's just bad. bad. It's just bad for the sake of being bad. So let's just talk quickly about the Brett versus Goldberg aftermath. Well, yeah, James, you said um, you said about the kick. Uh, Bret Hart versus Goldberg would be the match that sparked the end of Hart's wrestling career. Not only did Hart receive a concussion due to having his head slam against the floor outside the ring while trying to apply his signature ring post figure four leg lock, but a miscued shuffle sidekick to Hart's head also caused additional damage to the hitman, which most likely made Hart's concussion injury more severe. Well, this is Brett the Hitman Hart and his match with Goldberg taken from the Hart's autobiography Hitman, My Real Life in the Cartoon World of Wrestling. Starcade 99 came on December 19th, 1999 at the MCI Center in Washington, D.C. I sat on my bench, strapping my knee brace, wrapping my battered wrists and my knees. My ribs were sore from Goldberg spearing me. They'd been tender for at least 10 years. Ever since Dino Bravo knocked me into that steel fence back in 1989, I stretched and paced as I waited for my match with Goldberg. Whatever you do out there, Bill, don't hurt me. I said, I really wanted this to be a great match. The storyline called for the referee to get hurt and be replaced three times, with Roddy Piper coming out at the end. After wiping out the first ref, Goldberg and I brawled on the floor. Bonds the replacement road shift up. Goldberg tossed me back in the ring like a suitcase. He reminded me of a gorilla on the old luggage commercial. They had me backed in the corner and drilled me with an elbow smash. That can be compared to someone swinging a pillowcase through bricks. It was a stiff blow that left me dazed. Goldberg knew it too and whispered in my ear, Sorry, brother. He grabbed me in a front face lock and wrenched me backwards, wiping out the second referee. I was still groggy as I pulled myself up and I barely moved out of the way in time as Goldberg in the corner, nearly hitting his head on the post. The impact shook the whole ring, and he was lucky he didn't really hurt himself. I slid out to the floor and pulled his legs toward the post to do my figure four around the post. I threw one foot on the apron and felt Goldberg grab it like I told him to, but when I fell back, but when I fell backwards, he let go. My head thumped on the padded floor, and all my weight buckled on top of me like an accordion. The crowd was chanting Goldberg as I pulled myself up. I had to carry on. This was my heat. To recuperate, I rolled Goldberg in and began fiercely working his leg. Neither the crowd nor Goldberg had any idea that I was hurt. He snatched me by a throat and gave me a couple of punches as the third referee tried to back up. I snapped a boot in his face, fired him to the ropes and he reversed me. I heard him call, watch the kick. I had no idea what kind of kick he meant. There wasn't much room coming off the ropes. Goldberg was standing in the middle of the ring, standing sideways to me and his right foot flew just under my right hand, which I thrown up in an attempt to shield my face. Wham! I felt, someone, I felt like someone chopped me... An agonising blow that sent me crashing to the mat where I lay holding my neck, 
just behind my right ear at the base of my skull. I was thinking I've got to get up for the finish, but I can't remember what it is. Well, I got up just in time for Goldberg to spear tackle me like someone running me over with a car. The ref was still down and Goldberg paid to the crowd. Right on cue, out came Roddy doing his best John Wayne imitation. Making his way down the aisle in a referee shirt. I have a foggy recollection of Goldberg, of clipping Goldberg from behind and quickly twisting him into the sharpshooter. The crowd was fused, confused when Roddy didn't even wait for Goldberg to give up to signal for the bell. When Roddy took the bell and headed back down the aisle, I was as confused as the booing fans. I jumped out after Roddy. I felt nauseous. My head was throbbing and my vision blurred. But I managed to race up and grab him before he cleared the curtain where he handed me the belt. On autopilot, I followed the script, but I was totally out of it as I stumbled through the curtain. I was dazed and glassy-eyed, and Manette was killing me. The dressing room was almost empty because the boys had rushed to beat the crowd out of the building, except for Roddy and the WWE trainer, Danny Couch-Young. I told Danny I'd hurt my neck, and he apologised because all he could do was hand me a few packets of Advil. I was in such a fuzzy state of mind, I barely remember handing Miles in the car keys because I knew I wasn't capable of driving back to the hotel. So I made out way through the dark and the icy rain. I was slowing my speech and Marcy was very worried. She wanted me to see a doctor, but I thought, in a way, you think you've just suffered a severe concussion and you don't realise it. That I'll just take it slow and see how I felt in the morning. Well, sadly enough, Bret Hart didn't take time off immediately after this match and ended up being a major part, major part, in an angle that saw the New World Order reform underneath him. It would almost be a full month before Hart visited the doctor and was told about how critical his concussion was. Even though Brett was scheduled to take on Sid Vicious at the sold-out pay-per-view in that same Sunday, he was taken off the card due to his injuries from the Starcade match and eventually had his WCW contract terminated in October of 2000. So that was Starcade 1999, and maybe our last time of being in WCW. Who knows what happens in the new year? Like I said, we've got a lot of stuff happening in the new year when it comes to take just takeover events alone. We've got enough of them to start January and February. We know we're going to be most ridiculous. But one thing to just finish us off, and that is 20 years later, Starcade 2019. So we just watched Starcade 1999, and we're going to go forward 20 years to the latest Starcade event in 2019. Yes, yeah, like the previous Starcade 2019 was not a typical pay-per-view. In fact, it was shorter than most episodes of WWE television, and we didn't even do predictions on it. No, specials like this are just portions of how shows that air on WWE Network as bonus content. For this year's show, only two matches and a promo segment were advertised to fill the 60 minutes, but there was certainly potential. The women's tag titles were on the line in a fatal four-way. Ric Flair would appear on the Kevin Owens show, and Rusev was set to get his hands on Bobby Lashley in a last-man-standing match. Oh, and who was victorious in these matches? Let's break down Starcade 2019. Well, the non-televised match results. Yeah, so we had Seth Rollins defeating Eric Rowan by pinfall. Shinzuki fucking Nakamura defeated The Miz to retain the IC title. Randy Orton defeated AJ Styles. Another one of my men, Ali B, defeated Andrade. And then another one of your men, Ricochet, defeated Andrade again. He had two matches. We had Roman Reigns defeating King Corbin. And the steel cage match, Bray Wyatt retained the Universal Championship over Braun Strowman. And of course, we had the Kevin Owens show with Ric Flair and the Street Profits versus the OC. Yeah, that event started with an edition of the Kevin Owens show featuring Ric Flair. Once some microphone issues cleared up, it was a brief trip down memory lane. Well, Flair put over the locker room as a family and talked about his past with Harley Race, Dusty Rhodes, baby, 
and Sting making Starcade over the years. Well, the OC's Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows interrupt to talk about how Starcade should be highlights of their career as the best mother-loving tag team in the world. After the Street Profits came out, an impromptu match place. Yes, and the Street Profits defeated the OC by pinfall. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, Owens and Flair have enough history as amazing talkers to be able to say this was far from their standard. Well, between the crowd, crowd chanting, we can't hear you at the start, the promo being a weak plug for the show we're watching, and the awkward transition to a match that would be skippable, even on Raw, this fell quite flat. Yeah, everyone included is better than what this segment turned out to be. Instead of a fun 20 minutes, this was a bare minimum of a house show filler, and not something that would entice any network specials like this in the future. Then we had a women's tag team championship fatal four-way match. Yeah, the Bukaki Warriors. Uh, fuck me, the Kabuki Warriors got me saying and now have new theme music, which is an early indication of how the match would end. After all, why would WWE invest in giving them a new entrance song just to take the titles off them? Well, still, all four teams were game for a fight, even if the end was inevitable. Well, surprisingly, there was a lot of taunting in the match. Nearly every superstar had multiple moments specifically dedicated to giving their opponents a slap in some fashion. Oscar, Kari Sane, Sasha Banks and Bailey were all very clearly the heels here, as even Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross worked well with Lynch and Charlotte Flair. With the number of tags between those two teams, it almost felt like an eight-women tag team match instead of a fatal four-way. Ultimately, Cross succumbed to the Oscar lock and the champions kept their belts. So yeah, the result was the Bukaki Warriors, um, sorry, the Kabuki Warriors retained the titles by submission. Well, given the amount of time, of, uh, the amount of talent in the ring, all these super to do was go and wrestle a match and they were going to succeed. It was forced as a match of the year candidate for a bonus show, but this was rock solid. Well, it's good to see Bliss back in action and more credibility given to the Kabuki Warriors. The fans were into this, and overall, even with the Hills winning, it seemed to be a crowd pleaser. And then we had the last man standing match, and it was Rusev versus Bobby Lashley. Well, Lana cut a promo about how grateful she is at this holiday season for her boyfriend, Bobby Lashley. Since she filled the, filed the restraining order against Rusev, the last man standing match actually didn't take place. Well, instead, Lashley won by forfeit, which should further drag out this storyline so they can fight at TLC in two weeks. But Owens came out to save the day, saying that nobody cares about their relationship. That's not how the show will end. He also made fun of Lana dropping her Russian accent. Well, once Lashley volunteered Owens to get the beating this was meant for Rusev, a new match was on. Well, instead of a last man standing match, it was just a regular one-on-one affair. And a few minutes into it, Rusev went against the restraining order again and attacked Lashley, leading to a disqualification. So Lashley defeated Rusev by forfeit, then Lashley defeated Owens by disqualification. Well, advertising a gimmick fight just to take it away and replace it with a standard singles match is a weak move. WWE isn't in the best position with fans right now to be playing games and not delivering on what it promises. Well, the general rule of thumb, general rule of thumb, should be that each time the card changes, unless it's due to an injury or something that can't be avoided, an attempt should be made to upgrade it and not downgrade it. Of course, if WWE thinks having Rusev attack Lashley just stretches out even longer was worth it, that's an entirely different flaw of not realising how repetitively storylines can be. This accomplished absolutely nothing. Fundamentally, it was a copy of what happened on Raw, but with an extra 20 minutes of wasted time by repeating it. But as bad as this storyline is, at least if the match had happened as planned, it could have possibly ended the feud and put everyone out of their misery. Instead, this was just the equivalent of watching clips of Raw, which will be replayed on Monday's episode anyway. Well, at least the Owens versus Lashley match was slightly better than the Street Profits versus the OC, but that isn't saying too much. 
No, all in all, Star K proved that every one of these house show specials this year was uneventful at best and terrible at worst. It's hard to imagine this type of content would entice people to pay for a higher tier on the W Network if that is their game plan. Well, if WWE wants these specials to be worth anything, they have to be decent shows made with more than the bare minimum of effort. But as fans hopped onto the WWE Network to try and watch the event, many of them were unable to watch it as the network feed crashed. By the end of the first match, the crash reports had died down, but people were surprised given how little attention they show had been given on WWE television on the past week. And the show is headlined. And uh, check out some of it. Well, we had some reactions from the network crashes as well that came in. Yeah, well, we had Joshua Pyle. Um, WWE Network finally brought up the Starcade preview, only for it to crash and send me back to my Roku homepage. Scott Gammon said there's an old saying, if something isn't broken, the WWE will break it. Can we have one time when the WWE Network doesn't crash? Uh, Admiral Halo said, cool, WWE Network crash or whatever. And then Burn It Down said, did your service crash or something like that? Now, we've been experiencing problems with the WWE Network recently as well, so this is no surprise we're getting comments about this. Indeed, yes. It's, um, you know, I think they kind of... I couldn't even say it's the volume of people on it. I think it's just... Since it's been upgraded, it's been absolutely awful. Yeah. Uh, and this is a problem. We have a big 2020 now coming up and actually deliver something that is quite good. Uh, talk about the network. There's more people that watched the Untaker Stone Cold Steve Austin podcast than watched TakeOver the night before, which I thought was quite interesting considering how TakeOver is meant to kind of be, you know, NXT is the third brand now. Uh, but we've, we've covered everything here and uh, that is about it. Like we said, we've seen Starcade 1999 and 2019. It was terrible in 1999 and it's still terrible 20 years later. I think that's what we can take away. Uh, but like we said, we still got a lot to bring you and our next episode will be the most ridiculous. I cannot wait uh, for that one. It's always fun. But don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at Review or at Vince McDan WWE. I'm at J underscore Rose across all the Google platforms. Send us an email at WNRpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram, the WNRpodcast there. We're on Facebook. Yes, Facebook. You come and find our page and give us a like with a WWE Network Review. That title's subject to change it will be changing in the new year and of course we'll have a new intro a couple of people have asked about that as well we'll be sorting it all out subscribe to our YouTube channel the our podcast we've got all the latest clips and podcasts got the same time on YouTube we do other places like SoundCloud on your phone and we're also on Spreaker Radio we've got our live shows Stitcher Radio and iTunes where you can download subscribe rate and review there but that is it like I say next episode is most ridiculous but until then I have been James Rollins and as always I was joined by Damn right. Thanks for listening, everybody, and bye. Bye.